Off the ball's the best, number one. It's the GOAT of sports apps. Talk about the greatest of all time. Big Joe's the greatest of all time. He's the GOAT. We know it. <laughs> I, I'm going to say right. I'm the Djokovic of this scenario. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Download the OTB Sports app now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. You're very welcome along. It's Wednesday and it's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. We're with you live as per usual until 10 o'clock this morning. Nathan Murphy is with me this morning. Morning, Nathan. Morning, Shane. And Kathleen McNamee is here as well. Good morning, Kathleen. Good morning, guys. How are we keeping? Uh, I guess we should start with some matters. Ireland, we've loads coming up, by the way, between uh, now and 10 o'clock. We'll have a treat. Tommy Welsh, live in studio from 8 o'clock. So we uh, obviously get a lot of coverage from Tommy at matches, but uh, nice to have him in studio and we'll do a bit of a hurling state of the nation in the year so far and... Look ahead to this weekend's two big hurling semi-finals. We'll have Alan Quinlan in the 25, uh, talking the other 20s. Of course, they've dealt with a, a tragic week uh, with the Irish 20 squad, knowing the, the two young lads who were uh, killed in the Greek island. And then, of course, uh, one of the playing squad, uh, father passing away on, on that trip as well. Uh, Stacey Flood will be with us at 8.50. Uh, a member of the Irish Women's Seven Squad who'll be heading off to the Olympics. Jason Quigley joining us at ten past nine to talk his latest uh, exploits uh, and where he goes from here, I guess, as well. And Brendan Devaney highlights from last night's uh, OTP PM from half past nine as he discussed Derry and Monaghan's uh, um, adventure uh, this season and heading to the All Ireland semi-finals. Is that another record that we're like 20, 30 seconds into the show and you've got your first mention of Monaghan in already? That is it? It's not bad. I oh, mean, we're delighted for you. The whole nation is delighted that the, the underdogs are going to get uh, some chance got, against uh, the dubs. Isn't that what you were saying in the crappy quiz last week? I was getting dogs abuse. But well done. Gee, Nathan, this is the first victory. time you've been on since Sunday. How are you feeling? I'm all right. I'm, I'm were you calm. At the game? I'm calm about this. No, I was, um, I was down in Spiddle, mm. camping in the um, beautiful weather in Spiddle. I tell you, it was bloody Baltic. Oh, I'm, I'm all in on camping. It's usually fine. A couple of glasses of wine. Of tent a camping, this is. Tent camping. Oof, tent camping. Yeah. It was the coldest I've ever been camping. Yeah. It was absolutely Baltic. You need a good that tent. didn't help my mood uh, on Sunday afternoon. Did you watch the game at least? Oh, I did, yeah. Yeah. I was in, um, in the pub in the main street in Spiddle. Lovely. There was a few Mayo folk around who were sort of slowly moving out the door as the second half went on. But I stuck to the bitter end. Yeah, I think the game went, I won't say as expected, but there was definitely a sense that uh, we kind of knew where Mayo were, but we didn't know where the Dubs were. And if the Dubs, when you looked at that 26, were as strong uh, in reality as they were on paper, if they could get back to their very best, that mm. Mayo would be in a lot of trouble. And I think that's sort of how it worked out. First half, if the goal is given, is it a different thing? If Mayo go in a point ahead at the break instead of a point behind, suddenly those scores that Dublin rattle off at the second half aren't as much of a killer as they are even before the Dublin goal the second Dublin goal it felt mm. you know Mayo just hadn't come out at all but I think it's probably going to be a long winter again of soul searching and trying to find a bit of a spark that can get them a little bit closer to Dublin to Kerry I know they beat Kerry six weeks ago mm. and a season where you win away at Kerry you win away at Galway you win a national league but it still feels like some way off what it could have been and who goes is the other question like again every winter now because so many of those players have been around for so long like is that the last we're going to see of Kevin McLaughlin I'd still be surprised if Aidan O'Shea left right. I, I don't see why he would I think maybe his role will continue why to develop and change uh, funny I didn't think he was having that 
great a game. He couldn't walk when he came off. Some people saying he had a, he definitely had a big impact in the first half in the first twenty minutes. Like I was sitting right down beside the sideline and I watched him walk off like literally just a few metres away from me and like he was hobbling off he looked like he just didn't have anything left in the tank even to get himself off the pitch I don't that's why I think he was taken off anyways That's fair enough I suppose then if, if I think Killian O'Connor against Galway came on and you know offered a lot in the latter stages of that game and you probably felt he had a good 20-25 minutes in him but the game was gone mm. within minutes and it just became a bit of a mess from a Mayo point of view What do you think about McStay's comments afterwards because like I was chatting to a good few Mayo people after the game like after he'd spoken and they were kind of like frustrated at how positive he was about the season like the sense that any season where you end it with like a 12 point loss to Dublin isn't exactly something that you should be going out being like yeah it wasn't too bad but then when you point out you know obviously leave away to carry away to go Mm. away but then the stuff in between was so bad (laughs) it's kind of hard to judge well I think it is hard to judge because of it being the first time as well that we've had this sort of a season so the Roscommon defeat in the championship was sort of written off because Mayo had done so well in the league and maybe had put too much on that yeah the round robin you go and you win away at Kerry and then you absolutely blow it against Cork Like and that's ultimately what means Mayo end up having to play Dublin in an All-Ireland quarter-final maybe it ends uh, one way or another to Dublin or Kerry along the way but they put themselves in this position by what happened against Cork in the latter stages of that game and absolutely blowing it like Kevin McStay's personality is like that Like I, it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons I think uh, people get behind him is that he, he sort of he embraced the hype yeah. which I know most people outside of Mayo would say is not what you should be doing. It was very much the opposite of what James Horne did, who just tried to kill it at every possible <laughs> opportunity. But Max Day's personality is one of positivity. Refreshing and being very enough. open and honest, and here's what I feel. And he probably felt like the players... Is he talking to us? Is he talking to the players? The players are in the dressing room. They're absolutely shell-shocked. You could see after the game, Aidan O'Shea, Paul O'Gohor are still sitting there three, four minutes after the game, just shaking their heads that this is his first year in charge. If this is a rookie manager coming in with his first year in charge, you're probably thinking there's some signs of progress there for Mayo. But because mm-hmm. it's as an experienced coaching team as you would ever have in their first year, there's a definite sense of, of underachievement. And maybe there's a bit of a reality check from Sunday. If you look at the last three games against the Dubs, so beating out the park in the second half uh, on Sunday, there's... 2021, uh, one of the greatest days for Mayo football. The day we took down an empire is what always goes on. There's a freakish element to that and that Dublin were totally in control in that game. Like They were toying with Mayo in that game for so long. So there was a big gap there and Dublin mentally just broke that day and Mm. Mayo found something and even then just about got over the line. And you look to the previous year where it was the exact same as Sunday where Dublin, Mayo are two points up at halftime and Paul Mannion goes and produces one of the great Crow Park displays in the second half and is kicking points from here, there and everywhere. And again, there's a massive gap. So like the 2016-2017 Mayo side is now, by next year, it's going to be eight years ago since that great Mayo team, almost all of them, are going to be gone, probably with the exception of Paddy Durkin and maybe Aidan O'Shea. Uh, Dermot O'Connor probably still hanging around. So this is a new group trying to learn the way, still having to deal with the expectation that was with that side. And you probably look at something and think they are a bit off the top two. But again, I think, you know, you know when you're looking at Monaghan in a semi-final, Shane... Uh, 
I, I just can't see a scenario next year where Mayo aren't in a mix for yeah. a semi-final position again. Because would we be having a similar conversation if Mayo did beat Cork that day and end up playing, say, Derry in, a, in the quarterfinal, beat Derry, and completely, then completely, and we're again we're looking at Mayo then thinking, but what, the what then if they, they, won. they went on to a semi-final and lost by twelve points to, to Dublin or Kerry? Does it does it matter which round you lose? No, them? no, not for Mayo people. No, like if you get to the final, you obviously like. Would you would you prefer to lose the semi-final or the final, Shane? Final, of course. Exactly. But when I've been saying that, it's the greatest. <laughs> That's the mentality that gets you beaten in finals. Mm. For you to get to the final, you'd have to beat Dublin. That'd well, be I definitely think yeah. there's definitely a different level of emotion that comes with it. Like, say, most of the Mayo people I met on Sunday, they started off by saying they were absolutely disgusted. They were like, go on off the ball and tell the country we are disgusted. And then by the end of the night, they were basically like, yeah, we go again, another year. Whereas before, that would have taken like two or three days of pure depression out of a lot of them to lose like that in a semi-final or a final whereas because it was that little bit before it was like they were able to come round a little bit more and maybe because of the nature of the defeat as well because it was so comprehensive yeah, Kevin McStay deserves a bit of leeway doesn't he given it's his first year in charge like and, and like it started so well with that lead title like it's disappointing to go out of the championship for Mayo fans the way that they have but still a little bit of progress Dave O'Brien has been coming into the team yeah, look, they needed somebody at full back for quite a while I, listening to some of the Mayo podcasts there's definitely you know, a lot more in-depth criticism and you know, people who are watching a lot of the club game mm. are they identifying the right type of players are they uh, thinking outside the box in terms of the type of players that can uh, work us uh, at inter-county level I was you know so someone making the point around Michael Dara McCauley if like Michael Dara McCauley's from Mayo he'd never get a look in because he's not a proper fo- you know, he's not a proper footballer <laughs> but actually in Dublin they saw something in him mm. that in midfield you need that skill set that he had the power that he had may not have been the greatest kicker of a football of all time but mm. he had what you needed at inter-county level and our Mayo looking around uh, considering the amount of footballers that there are in the county for something a little bit different Well they have the backroom team like those lads isn't McHale and all these lads jobs to to, isn't there a club liaison? Isn't Absolutely, there there's, no, there's all of that, and I'm sure here, if uh, when we do talk to Kevin McStay, he'll come on and say we pick what we believe are the best yeah. 26 footballers that can do a job, and there's every chance that they are picking the best 26 players in the county that can do a job. But it does feel looking at Kerry and the genius of Clifford and just the strength in depth that Dublin are probably always going to have. They need to find something a little bit different, but. Again, you get to a semi-final, the draw works out in your favour. You don't always need to be the best team in the country to win an All-Ireland. Mm. You just need to win the games on the day. And that's probably Mayo's best hope for the next few days, is that the next few years that you, you find yourself on the right side of the draw at some stage. Things work out. Yeah. You know what? We're back. <laughs> you can find there's only been one national title handed out so far this year and Mayo have won it. It's true. Yeah, things happen fast. So I see now they're talking about getting rid of the uh, league finals again. Ah, they can't be doing that, though. People, people enjoy having, having league finals, I think. This is the it's perfect time of the year. Well, not when it's, you have to go out a week later and play yeah. in the championship. Can you see anything but a Kerry-Dublin final at this point? No. 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 And um, as much as I would love to see a Monaghan upset and <laughs> the, the joy that it would bring you, it does feel that if Derry or Monaghan were to win, mm. that that would be their day. <laughs> yeah. And then actually you'd have quite a one-sided final, whereas... I think if, neutral. if you get Kerry Dublin for a neutral, yeah. Yeah, you'd want a semi, similar to the semi-final last year, I guess. A bit of a, bit of a classic. Uh, remains to be seen. I'm still holding on to a little remnant. No, no, here, listen. I think in our last oh, four, four weeks. Someone correct me, but I think the last four times Monaghan and Dublin have played each other in the last couple of years, Monaghan have won three of them. Oh, 
you think? Someone got your stats. <laughs> someone correct me. The other one could have been a draw as well. Someone correct me on that. If and, I'm wrong. And, and just let us know this now. Has, has Vinnie Curry been directly in touch as to what the game plan is for the next? Are you, are you playing things down? Or are you? Ah, uh, you have to. You have to do a Roscommon, don't you? Like you have to keep the ball for as long as you can. Absolutely. Like what's, what's give the, them nothing. Frustrate the well, life out of them. This is the have the hill booing. Hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not there for their entertainment. I want to see Monaghan run out and warm up in front of the hill. As you well. want Brawley writing three thousand words how Monaghan are disgraced yeah. football on the Sunday morning. Can forget about that's Monaghan. your best as chance. As far of as they're a county, yeah. <laughs> Let them at it. Yeah, hundred percent. We we like. I I have. So on the Instagram stories last week for the Monaghan game, like everyone in Monaghan seemed to be at the Armagh game. The the like everyone. I literally mean everyone in Monaghan is going to this Dublin game. Like I, what? I don't know what the allocation for Monaghan will be. Thirty thousand. That'll be half the county. And uh, there are people coming from abroad as well. Uh, in the brothers flying in if they beat Dublin for the final. This mo- the biggest Monaghan game in your lifetime. Probably, but the, I suppose they had a semi final against Tyrone in twenty eighteen, where they like were kick of the ball. They lost by a point. They probably. Why does this feel game. bigger? I guess it's Dublin penalties in a quarter final as well. Just adds a bit of drama maybe around the whole thing. McManus clutch McManus. There's a few talking points. Um, so maybe it's just more like it's this team. Like Vinnie, Vinnie Corey said they had a team meeting at the start of the year and getting to a final was the. Was the ambition so one game away? Who knows? Oh, I'm not, see, I, I, is it like Mayo or back always talk about? It's not so much about the football and the games; it's the days out that you get and all yeah. the fun around it and the weeks of build-up and expectation and just the heart-crushing. Defeat. What's wrong with that? Exactly. No, that's what I'm what saying. That? But that, yeah. That's the best part that's of it. I never all. get the criticism. The actual like 70 <laughs> minutes on the pitch is probably the most pain part, painful part of the whole thing. It's yeah. all the bits. It's like Christmas. Christmas Day is not actually the best part. It's like all the fun around it. That, my big disappointment was I had pulled a sheet in on this and I was like no we go camping that weekend because whatever happens the weekend is <laughs> semi-final final I am keeping free yeah yeah yeah, because, yeah and one of the big disappointments on a weekend when Mayo loses you're like ah oh, but when they're playing in Crow Park all the lads come up people you haven't seen since last year everybody's up for the weekend mm. it's a good night out on Saturday night there's a bit of crack around town on the Sunday <laughs> that's the bit you want yeah the crack but again, that's the loser mentality Shane don't you be enjoying yourself in the build-up? You better not be having any nights now on the Thursday night with all the legends or something no, that you're emceeing no. and getting a handy few quid for. That sort <laughs> of stuff fun. is losing the run of yourself. God forbid you have a bit of fun before the game. You know? I tell you, there'll be a lot of money to be made for you now if Monaghan win this semi-final. Would be, hopefully. You never know. I'm available on LinkedIn there, lads, if you want me. <laughs> Twitter at ShaneHannon01. Cash only. <laughs> Cash only. Yeah, brown envelopes, please. Um, yeah, no, it's one of those things I tweeted the other day, a photo of uh, one of the, the articles after the, the weekend's football saying Dublin Kerry final on the cards. And I was like, ah. Oh, Stick in the dressing room, lads. Monaghan and Derry. Conan Doherty replied, a, a journalist from Derry, of course, and he, he said, Yeah, sure, listen, wouldn't, wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be great to kick a few points in Croke Park in a semi final even? Wouldn't it be great for Monaghan just to go out and score a goal against Dub- the great Dublin team, wouldn't it? Red carpet. It's an honour for Conor McManus to even get to play in Croke Park. To get to play it? there, 100%. I mean, Jesus, for this Monaghan team who've spent 10 years in Division 1, wouldn't it just be an honour to line out against the Dubs? But look. I'll have convinced myself before the Saturday week that we can beat the Dubs. Is McManus the most important individual player to any county over the last decade even? Probably. Like Clifford is maybe getting there for Kerry, which is remarkable when you think of Kerry and the general yeah, strength that they yeah. have. Yeah. Although having said that, like... you know, Gary Brennan down in Clare. Possibly. But the future... Would uh, beyond McManus now looks a little bit brighter because they're like they, they've played a lot of games this year without him and they've won games without him. But obviously for clutch moments like Croke Park at the weekend, maybe like twenty ten, like Marty Clark or Benny Coulter for down, possibly yeah, getting them to that All Ireland final, dragging a team to a final. Yeah, it can happen. And if McManus does it this year, I mean, well, if it if it happens this year, there, there's other players, Colin McCarthy and Carlo Connell who've dragged Monaghan there as well. But 
yeah, remains to be seen. We'll uh, we'll hold on to the hope anyway. But Nathan, you haven't killed our hope entirely just yet. I know you're saying it's Dublin Kerry final. Hope, hope, but that's all you've got, Shane. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'll enjoy the build up. And yeah, LinkedIn and, and Twitter is where you get me for all the for all the gigs. I was chatting to Gavin Bazunu yesterday down at Shamrock Rovers Academy at Roadstone. You're taller than Gavin Bazunu. I am. I was looking it up because I was looking it up in advance. I was yeah, like, I wasn't sure if that was just a camera angle or if no, you actually were. I, I deciphered. I'm so I'm six four and Gavin six two. So I mean, obviously, I'm not an international goalkeeper, but. Clearly, <laughs> he's got that ahead of me. Uh, Stephen Kenny's looking though. <laughs> he's looking, you know. Uh, he's an impressive lad for for twenty one years of age. You know, has a a strong head in his shoulders. Like he talks a lot about reading Malcolm Gladwell's psychology books, and was someone who was very keen. You know, even when he was heading over to Manchester City, he wanted to complete his education, do his leave insert, which he did. Uh, he's got a younger brother now who's also a goalkeeper in the Shamrock mm. Rovers Academy. Um, but it was they were launching this boot room initiative, which is a really good idea. I think a, a couple of other clubs in the League of Ireland are doing it. Obviously. Football boots are expensive. You probably know as the father of kids, Nathan, that football boots, if a kid sees Erling Haaland or Kylian Mbappe wearing a certain set of boots, they're the boots you have to buy. And they're maybe 100, 120 quid sometimes. Maybe more. But like, this, this is something that the Shamrock Rovers Academy started so that the people can donate boots and uh, Gavin Bazunu has donated 5,000 euro worth of boots. So that's oh. kind of where he uh, was, was over chatting to, to press about it. Uh, Michelle McPhail, it was her idea, Steve McPhail's wife, and obviously they have kids as well involved in the academy. Um, but yeah, he spoke very well. Like even he, he watches all the Shamrock Rovers games still, if not in person on 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 the telly or stream or whatever over in England. Um, hasn't yet met Russell Martin, the new Southampton manager. Has spoken to him, um, but certainly the vibe I was getting from Gavin yesterday is that he's 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 going to be at Southampton next season for that Championship push, and they very much think that they can come straight back up to the Premier League. Yeah, that's interesting because uh, obviously a lot of the headlines in the papers from the interviews today is that he still sees himself as a Premier League player. Yeah. Now I was wondering, was that a <laughs> come and get me plea that I want to be back and I feel I should be back in the Premier League uh, it does feel as though a year at Southampton in the Championship and Southampton even though they're going to lose it seems three or four of their important players yeah. might still have enough quality to be near the top half and just to rebuild a little bit of confidence because as mentally strong as he may be like that was a tough tough year there was a lot of televised games yeah. that he struggled in and you know as much as we looked at his season with green tinted glasses and got very frustrated with Jamie Carragher's criticism there was some uh, validity in what he had to say about Bazunu. he looked very unsure at times you think back to that Arsenal game where Arsenal came from behind um, uh, like even the last goal where he just sort of palms it back but he shouldn't be playing Premier League football at 21 years of age as a yeah. goalkeeper in many ways. Like, it just doesn't happen. And it's no surprise if you look at the other young goalkeeper in the Premier League, Ilan Melier at Leeds, who's, you know, similar in ways to Bazunu and that he's such a modern goalkeeper, mm. so good with the ball at his feet. Like, Melier made a huge amount of mistakes over the last couple of years as yeah. well, but doesn't seem to have lost any of his value or mm. the demand to sign him because, again, goalkeepers, he's 21. He could be playing Premier League football in. 14 years yes, 15 still. years mm. easily so you just hope that actually when you go and talk to Gavin Bazuna in 5 years time yeah. he's talking about that season with Southampton and actually that was the most important season of his career uh, a little bit out of the spotlight next season in the championship because again we, it's, it, I guess it's impossible to get your head around you know, playing in a game of that magnitude against Arsenal on that Friday night wasn't it a Friday night game? and it was Arsenal yeah. going for the title and the pressure that is on you as yeah. you're trying to hold out the title chasing side and it wasn't even the mistake that night it was the uncertainty where it came out of the box a couple of times it was miscommunication with the defenders but you're at a team down the bottom of the table like every team down the bottom of the table these mistakes happen with so like what you're saying there about you know 
probably acknowledging the criticism, but mm. been able to block it out. Yeah. And it's when we've seen him for Ireland, he's been generally exceptional. Yeah, he certainly seems well capable of dealing with it, the criticism, because he started the, he started the first 32 games of the season, and, and then that game happens, the three-hole with Arsenal that you mentioned on, on the 21st of April, and Alex McCarthy comes in and just takes his spot. But that's a learning curve for a 21-year-old goalkeeper. Like, and It's not like Alex McCarthy would come in and... and, and shot the lights out you know um, so Gavin will be definitely within in with the shout of being the number one from the start of next season like he spoke, spoke even yesterday about the, the impact being at Man City had on him the, the uh, Xavi the goalkeeping coach at Man City the impact he's had in his career um, and full of praise for, for, for Everton at Shamrock Rovers as well like his development you think back to him being 16 you know saving that penalty was it against Cork and like mm. just being thrust into senior League of Ireland football he was clearly capable of it and, and, and probably more physically developed at 16 than, than some other goalkeepers in the league um, but he just has that side to his game he's improved his distribution his shot stop and I don't think has ever been in question um, but he's dealt with like even that Cristiano Ronaldo penalty like that just thrust I know we didn't win the game in the end but mm. like that sort of thing thrusts you into the limelight yeah, and look, there's a highlights reel there over the season as well of brilliant saves he made. And when Alex McCarthy came in, Alex McCarthy played six games and conceded 17 goals. <laughs> Things didn't get any better. No, like, that is what happens, and it may well have been a case of just taking them uh, and try. And, and at that stage, uh, managers in the relegation zone will just try anything, mm. basically. And a changing goalkeeper, I don't think anyone felt it was going to be a, a change in form. And like, he's probably in a similar situation to Nathan Collins in that Collins, who's just gone through mm. and signed for Brentford, which probably is something of a surprise, uh, considering he just went to Wolves last year and yeah. he's just broken his own Irish transfer record. You do look at both of them and think they're so well-suited to playing at a top team, mm. at a top six team, top eight team, with their style of football, with how comfortable they are in possession of the football. They just need to get a couple of good, solid seasons under their belt to make that next step. And this is a big move for Nathan Collins as well, because Wolves... It didn't work out, and yeah. it was a struggle at the start of the season. Lopetegui comes in, obviously feels with Craig Dawson that maybe it was just for experience, and it was something in Collins that he wasn't quite sure about. And all you hear from Wolves about Lopetegui, uh, they rave about him. Yeah, uh, so he's clearly a you know a brilliant coach and brilliant manager, but Collins' face didn't fit. The worry when you go to a club like Brentford is that Thomas Frank is a very in-demand manager. <laughs> that you find yourself in a situation again six months down the line where they're changing manager, you're scrapping for your position. Whereas you feel actually if there's solidity there, if Brentford can back it up, finish top 10 again next season, and he's a key part of that mm. in a heart of a good Brentford defence, that then maybe you get that move next year or the year after. Because maybe, and it might sound ridiculous, having to defend, old school defending like you have to do with a team down the bottom of the table, may not suit Nathan Collins' skill set. Needs to be on the ball. Yeah, and the suggestion seems to be in a lot of the papers that there's an idea that Wolves might be heading heading south, you know, financially certainly, mm. and, and then I'm not going to curse them, but uh, like, rumours that they could end up being Leeds or an Ipswich where you could well, if you get really are what's going on in that uh, uh, Max Kilman, who was playing alongside Craig Dawson in the Hearts Defence, uh, there's talk of him going to Napoli for I think they turned down the bid for 30 million. Uh, expectation Napoli would go back maybe with 40 million, but like Collins and Kilman at the start of last season, they were talking about a Wolves could be a centre back partnership for the next three or four years two of the best young defenders in the English game uh, there was speculation about Lopetegui's future at the end of last season again that they just didn't have the finances so Wolves it's incredible how quickly it turns like Wolves a couple of years ago were looking at under Nuno Matt Doherty out on the right hand side mm. Neves and Moutinho Raul Jimenez flying up front we're like this is the example but then when 
you go down the route that they went down, which has basically been George Mendes' baby. Yeah. And players are just passing through and Mendes is obviously uh, looking elsewhere now. It turns out Saudi Arabia is somewhat more attractive than uh, Wolverhampton to do your business in. Uh, they find themselves in a in a little spot of honour. Yeah, well, I've been to Wolverhampton and I'm sure you have to. It's pretty... pretty I didn't big. hang around. The, I'm sorry, the best thing about Wolverhampton is you can get the train straight in. Yeah, fair enough. Birmingham straight Airport. Up. And I, I didn't hang around. It could be a beautiful part of... Uh, yeah, well, I black stayed country, the night the and ended up getting wolves? an earlier train than I had initially attended to. Finished up the game at one o'clock. Was supposed to get in the morning. Was supposed to get the train at I think it was like eleven, and ended up getting the seven train, which is like the first train back to London in Wolverhampton. In from Wolverhampton. Wolverhampton. Well, when I went there, I went there for England's last warm-up game before the Euros last summer, and uh, the only restaurant that was open, and like this was early enough in the day that didn't have very drunk football fans that obviously were not there for the women's game outside of them was a McDonald's so that kind of mm. said a lot at the time yeah, I think my, my picture of, of, my, of um, Wolverhampton was coloured it was staying in a, in a, mo- in a not a motel yeah pretty much motel in, in the shadow of Molyneux Stadium and like it was a pretty grim place like stains on the carpet sort of place you know yeah I, I like I could name many uh, English towns of covering games that I've like mm. could uh, talk down but then I feel that maybe like your experience is the problem that mm. we go to these football matches like I stayed in the cheapest possible hotel <laughs> I could stay in I stayed out all night I got straight off the train went to the pub it just doesn't feel like a very it doesn't feel like a very warm place <laughs> yeah 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 yeah. it's fair like, oh. is, where, is Wolverhampton in the black country it is yeah, the black is. country we, like, we, the black see, country sounds like it must be a nice place. There must be something attractive about it. What is, like is it forest? Well, is it not the black country because of the mines? Could be. And like the oh. and because of the absolute financial devastation that it went to through whenever they started closing down. This this is, is an education. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the, the surrounding area is beautiful. Like the train there is very gorgeous. All the countryside and stuff. But uh, yeah, no, there's just there was an edge to a town. You know, when you go to a town and there's an edge to it. That's what I felt. And maybe it was there, me being there Got by the myself answer for as well. you. The area was one of the Industrial Revolution's birthplaces. Either the 30-foot-thick coal seam close to the surface or the mix of coal works, coke works, iron works, glass works, brick works and steel works, which obviously had soot and air pollution, led to the area's name, which was first recorded in the 1840s. Wow. It was me looking for the forest. Don't tell you we don't teach us things. <laughs> See, we had the car over on the ferry, so we drove out of Wolverhampton and it was as grim the whole entire way out of it. So there is that. Now, we, I was at the snooker as well as... Uh, Staying near Molyneux, so the Aldersley Leisure Centre, so where the snooker was on. That's pretty. Uh, that that's exactly exactly as it sounds. Watching snooker in Aldersley Leisure Centre. So uh, it's not exactly the crucible. Let it's me not just exactly Monaghan, is it? It's not exactly Monaghan. No, no, it wouldn't be. <laughs> uh, we should. I mentioned the, the Gavin Mazzini interview. With that full interview you'll be able to watch, of course, on on YouTube uh, this morning, uh, around ten minutes or so in total. He was he was interested in a number of different things. Bringing a clip, he was talking about. Um, Stephen Kenny and I guess criticism of Stephen Kenny and this idea that Stephen Kenny needs either two points or four points from these French and Dutch games coming up in September uh, so I asked Gavin his thoughts uh, from a player's perspective on the criticism levelled at Stephen Kenny uh, the international games of course uh, a bit of a mixed bag in the last couple of, couple of uh, windows but I guess in September the French and Dutch games I mean you hear the media reports that he needs he needs four points Stephen Kenny to keep his job he needs two points to keep his job but but, but I guess within the camp you guys aren't listening to any of that so what's the what's the reflection on, on, on Stephen Kenny, Kenny's tenure so far I heard you saying to, to one of the, the journalists before you know this word promising you know you're a young squad that have been so promising but again you want to get rid of that word now and just start I guess delivering results yeah exactly for me Stephen has been incredible to be able to bring through the amount of players he's brought through and you know at the start, everyone was talking about promising, and I think it's now time for us as players to, to step up and prove that 
we're not just promising anymore. We are the, you know, not the finished article, but we're getting close towards it. And we're all players that are willing and ready to take the responsibility uh, to be able to go out there and get results. Yeah, I like what Gavin Mazzuni is saying there, talking about the, this idea that this Irish young, the young players in the squad were promising. And he says, now we have to start delivering that promise and get results. Like, clearly something that you want to hear players saying. Um, because there's all this talk about these young players that have come through Stephen Kenny under 21 level but now they have to at senior level start delivering they're of an age now 21, 22 where results are imperative Yeah, club and country they need to start yeah. delivering so Gavin Bazoon is one of those who's played all the time but Stephen Kenny's put a lot of trust and faith in those under 21s and uh, they haven't been able to repay him at club level either no. so you know he starts Adamita over in Greece like Adamita getting game time in Norwich but he's not scoring goals mm. and he's a huge fan of Adamida and maybe he just needed to delay his introduction back into the international side and have him as an impact player but a lot of these guys just haven't kicked on at club level again they're very young so there's no reason why they won't mm. over the next few years but like it was a difficult situation in Greece where a lot of those young players hadn't played in a long time so he's right and they have to step up otherwise Stephen Kenny won't be in a job yeah. come the end of the year exactly yeah, time to get results. James Lee, uh, keep the comments, by the way, coming in on YouTube. James Lee says, uh, when Mayo did beat Dublin in that semi-final, they celebrated on the pitch like they had won the final. I, I don't like this idea of people being fun police. If Monaghan beat Dublin Saturday week, there are going to be massive celebrations on the pitch as well. Well, Dublin hadn't lost a championship game yeah. was it since 2014. <laughs> so there was a sense of this was an end of an era. And also, you know, I think if Mayo had won that game by six points in Dublin hadn't turned up there would have been a mm. small celebration it was the fact that they were dead and buried and had somehow come back, back. Yeah. like nobody nobody in that stadium thought Mayor were going to win that game <laughs> ten minutes into the second half yeah just come out of nowhere uh, Shane says Nathan was smirking after they knocked Galway out time to retreat back to your box yeah like, I was getting lots of abuse on Sunday uh, oh, yeah. from all the Galway fans for the abuse I was giving them the week before which is fine mm. like, I, I, it's, it's, it's okay That's to what it's all about. enjoy beating your nearest neighbours. It's fine. It's all right. I don't mind. Like, and I, I don't get upset if Dublin fans are trying to ram it down Mayo's throat this week. Like, he won. Yeah, I, I have to Enjoy say, it. I was, I, was I stayed in Ballina last weekend and uh, went to this, the, to watch the match. We went to the beach bar, my local, uh, which is your local, Ockershead. Your local, yeah, which is Sligo. Lovely, lovely, lovely area. Scenic area. Went for a walk on the beach after the match. Yeah. But I have to say that I was thinking, oh, we're only a couple of miles from the border here with Mayo. This is going to be very border. Ma- Mayo. The border. The border. Mayo-centric. A lot of Mayo fans are going to be here. Walked in. There's a couple of Sligo jerseys doing the rounds. Pub was packed. And I mean to a man and woman. Everyone wanted the Dubs to win. Beach Bar, though, would be like St. Farnham sort of territory. And they would have quite a lot of rivalry with some of the Mayo clubs on the border. So it would definitely be one. I'd say if you went a little bit more central into Sligo, you would have got far more people right. supporting Sligo than you would there. Like I got the train up on Sunday to go to the game and like the Clooney station normally has about three people on the platform and there was near 50 and I was like well didn't know this many Mayo people existed in Sligo there you go um, so it's the summer so all the dubs are down the country possibly that's it all too. the dubs yeah yeah had you your top on during this? I was very disturbed on Instagram. I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you get to go away <laughs> in your holidays but like leave, leave the top on when you're well, posting you on the Instagram you can't wear a top when you're at a jacuzzi do you know Oh, they don't post it, Shane. Ah, listen. <laughs> it's a bit much. Listen, when you're in your prime, you've got to post these things. Well, exactly. But some, the day will come where I can't post tops well, I off think the day, I, I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, Shane, but I think the day may have come. Well, it, it may have come, yeah. Barreling down towards 30 now, but um, not quite at your level just yet, Nathan. Uh, someone says, Connor Rose, is that part of England is where hope goes to die? So, um, 
some sort of black country, I think, for, for some people. But there, I'm sure there are lovely areas in the black country, and no offence intended to anyone. Can't wait till our first live commentary of the Premier League season, live from Molyneux. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Put down. Yeah, exactly. Uh, look after yourself over there, Nathan. Uh, 8.01am on this Tuesday. <sighs> done it again. Tuesday. Wednesday. Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, folks. It's hump day, and I, I know all about it. Uh, OTBM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball. We'll have... Uh, Tommy Welch in studio live with us just after the break can't wait for that but first we'll bring you a clip from the latest episode of the Football Pod have a look OTB AM 8.04am on this Wednesday morning's OTBM the sports breakfast show from off the ball with myself and Nathan live with you until 10 o'clock delighted to say a treat for us all now Tommy Welch is live in studio morning Tommy how are things good morning Shane putting us to shame with the suit as well Jesus I mean what a man if we'd known if we'd known myself and Nathan could have at least put an effort in we, you never do Nathan I know but Still on call for again, isn't it? There's a lot of, <laughs> lot of cheap shots Pretty here. Off. See, I was getting an awful lot of abuse from, from Nathan in the crappy quiz on Friday, so just taking my opportunity. I won it, so that, you know, revenge. He did, he, he won it. Uh, how are you keeping, Tommy? Yeah, great. It's great. You're listening. Coming up to probably the biggest weekend in Hurling, Barry All Ireland final, like the semi final, since the, I suppose, the provincials have turned into a round robin, have been probably epic. You know, and um, really looking forward to this weekend. I'd say our first one was probably 2018, mm. Limerick's first. Um, Cork semi-final you know the, the Cork semi-final when they're down by six or seven points only a couple of minutes to go and how those probably eight minutes oh. changed the history of, of Hurling like you know and so that's what we're heading into hopefully another great weekend in Hurling how have you found the championship so far generally speaking I thought to be honest Shane it's an outstanding championship and you know I suppose it was all kind of the Munster Championship versus the Leinster Championship, mm-hmm. really, for, for so long. But if you take each of them in their own right, the Munster Championship never lets you down. Like, you know, um, you go back down to the to the game between Cork and Tipperary, Tipperary, Clare, you could pick any of them. I was lucky enough um, that I was at the one, the Limerick and Clare one down in the Gaelic Grounds. Mm-hmm. And, like, that was old school Championship hurling. It was just, it had the feel of, if you lose, you're gone. And even though you weren't gone out of the Championship, it was a derby and yeah. um, it just felt every much like that and we were treated then to normally them games they're intense you know there's not much going on only hard hitting and that but there was extraordinary hurling in it as well like so you had the best of both worlds and you had Lone up and down the sideline like you know like Lucknan with his white runners those many <laughs> years ago just commanding like you know and the whole crowd like got some feeling that night of the love and appreciation and honour and respect the clear supporters and players had for Law on that day and the whole place was in it together and listen they won that day Limerick got back to revenge in the Munster final and um, on they go now to the semi-final as champions again and won the, the Munster for the for the five in a row the only team outside of Cork in my knowledge to do it mm. which is extraordinary for that group of players you know and mainly the same group of players that's doing it they're not bringing through you know new guys every year or anything like you know it's nearly 12 roughly around 12 and add in a couple then uh, in and out then uh, every year depending on, on who's injured or who's in form um, and then like you know the Leinster Championship is you know not received there. the same it, it's <laughs> there oh, the, it, final, the final was good the final was good right mm. but if you do go back and look at um, like the big argument a couple of weeks ago on the Sunday game was what are we doing to promote hurling and it's grand we have the glory days but like Antrim and Westmead in, in the Leinster Championship mm. 
Like you talk to anyone in, in, in the hurling hotbeds, blowing Clonkill or Raharney or up in Antrim in the Glens, like that are obsessed and love hurling every bit as much as anyone in Kilkenny or Cork or Tipperary or Limerick. They deserve their day in the sun. And listen, if it leads to a few matches that are a bit lopsided, that, but if they're happy that's promoting hurling up there, we want that to happen. And we seen today Westmead went on and beat Wexford. Like nobody, you couldn't predict that. Mm-hmm. And um, go back to the to, to the underage setups with Westmead. It didn't come out of nowhere. Westmead Beckley Kenyon under twenty one championship not so long ago when Eddie was over them, and um, nobody saw that coming. So it didn't come from from nowhere. So sixteen point turnaround that was brilliant. The, the, the day down in in Wexford Park as well when Wexford had to win yeah. to you know to ensure that they're in the Lee McCarthy Cup next year. Like, that was an extraordinary day. Now, I wasn't at a christening to go to that day myself. I missed it. But, you know, mother and father down there, a lot of people I know were down there asking about, like, the atmosphere, like, the Sangbool of Oak before it, just to, you know, bring in the the atmosphere and the tradition and the history of Wexford, Ireland. And, you know, I thought I'd do a bit of work down Wexford, like, that meant an awful lot to them. And mm-hmm. listen to the radio interviews, Tom Dempsey and these guys on the radios, like, you know, very emotional. And so, on both sides... Uh, Leinster and Munster they both offer different things uh, Shane and go on into the, to, 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 to the last one Tony Kelly like <laughs> not hurling Millen scores 3-4 yeah. <laughs> yeah. like, who's amazing. your favourite hurler to watch? to watch now uh, I love Hegarty <laughs> <laughs> I would tell you the Kenny like you know for Kenny I love Mullen Adrian Mullen I suppose I've been watching all the Mullins since they were young chaps like but Adrian you know he's that whole Ballyhale craft and toughness and fitness but the skill and just a, a joy to watch as well and sure but Hegarty from 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 Limerick is, is, is somebody like you know and especially with the criticism mm. and the, the scrutiny that's <laughs> because I just know from playing the game like you go in to get the ball like sometimes you know the hurl get you know mm. it's go on what <laughs> things <laughs> but, can happen yeah well I'm saying you go for the ball like it's just, like there's so many variables like when you're going for this it's not like soccer where there's the one ball in your foot like you can't slide tackle obviously in soccer anymore mm. like, you know it's a red car but mm. hurling's nearly gone to the point where if you you go for a tackle and you miss it you know um, remember um, Cork there a couple of years it was that game no it was against Waterford let's say the year in 2000 maybe 17 when um, Damien Kelhan went for, for, for a tackle and just was sidestepped and next minute I got I think he got a second yellow mm-hmm. I just felt that's not the, you know that's not the way like because just when you're watching hurling, it looks terrible on television and that. But when you're in the game, you go full-blooded for, for the ball and sometimes, you know, you miss the ball. Yeah. And that shouldn't mean you scrutiny with, you know, slow-down cameras and because it can look terrible. Like, you make that look terrible. But listen, Hegarty, anyways, will be one guy. Um, Galan at the moment, though, mm. is the best hurler in the country, I think. Um, he's just unmarkable at the moment. So if any of us beat, beat Limerick, I think you will have to mark Galan. A uh, couple of things on that, just on Hegarty. So there's been quite a few incidents over the last couple of years, quite a few red cards. Like the one that happened this year, and the just the ferocity of the show, the way he went into that tackle. As much as you want that physicality, does he, with that scrutiny that he's under, does he not need to change his approach to the game? Is he not putting his team potentially at risk when managers are clearly watching them, or referees are clearly watching them? Yeah, well, what about the the, the tackles that's been putting Hegarty for the ball? Mm. I would say. Like you know, like you see, it's it's tough and forwards these days, Nathan. Um, like, like you know, like say you take twenty years ago, you were you were told 
forget about the referee you look after yourself so corner back wing back they're always up maybe shoving you in the back pulling your jersey you know maybe off the ball stuff that nobody can see and um, like it, the referee, umpires don't really get involved like you know it's mainly down to, to, to the referee and he can't see everything he only has he only has two eyes so like what does a forward do like you know um, you can't you know hit hit a fella dig back anymore because so you get a red card yeah. you know yeah. so like all the if you're in, you know and you never see a, a back in a red card for shoving a ladder pulling his jersey or digging him so like you know Hegarty went you know he was a little bit late and that jostled down and it was on the sideline it just happened to be in front of the the bench which made it look a lot worse but um, you know there probably has to be a bit of protection for the forwards as well that are suffering these off the ball you know like off the ball challenges if you like but and you that's why I, I, I find you see there's a lot more diving nowadays do you ever see you know when a fella gets a yeah. bed he's down holding his but he's probably he, he has no other choice really because he can't hit the lad back like you know the, you can't do that yeah. so you're a red card so I, I just have a lot of sympathy for forwards nowadays I was probably the back doing that <laughs> forwards for years but you seen the diving? they were able to give it back to me so it was all water has the diving creeped in slowly or or was that something that, that existed when you were a player but just maybe oh, never, less, less so never existed Shane but like never existed back then Like, but there was no red cards really back then unless you did something you know that was <laughs> deserving of, yeah deserving <laughs> of a red card like you know so so you, 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 your sense is that the diving has crept in because forwards have to try and get... It's the only way they can get the defenders punished. Yeah, I don't think there's any protection for them. Like, um, you know, and, you know, you can't have six referees like a, an American football game either. Mm. Listen, you're just looking at a free-taking competition. So, mm. listen, that's just their way. The game will evolve to again and, and on they'll go. But, um, no, listen, I'd, I'd have no... Like, I don't think there's any issues in the game at the moment. Like, there's always talks about rule changes and we'll change this, we'll change that. Hurling is epic at the moment. Like, you know, why would you change anything? You hear people saying there's too many scores, but that's kind of an argument that has, I guess, been around the, the, the weight of the slitter and stuff as well. Yeah, well, scores are probably doubled probably in the last probably 15, 20 years, but I think that's more to do with the ping in the ball. Like, like people say the game, the ball hasn't changed. The, the ball has changed. Like if you play the game, the ball has changed. Like the ping, yeah, the weight might be the same. If you you hit a ball now, you can glide the ball over on the run from sixty, seventy yards. Like you know, beforehand you'd have to give it your almighty one hundred percent Johnny McMahon effort mm. to score the ball from eighty yards. Like, you know, so the ping and the ball has changed. Like uh, as in, I think Patrick Horgan actually said he was on with us recently, and he, and and he, Horgan said like the ball has improved the last year or two because he, he remembers a couple of years ago even hitting freeze. And he wasn't exactly sure, you know, he was hitting it the usual way, but he wasn't exactly sure where it was going to go trajectory-wise. But now, you know, it's pure and you can actually, from 60, 70 metres, you can exactly tell where it's going to go. So players have clearly got to, got to grips with the new slitter. It's, it, it's one of the things that I guess was, was an issue in the last couple of years. Well, yeah, and you see, when you got the ball in the half-back lane, full-back lane, you gave an almighty effort, it went in as far as the full-back, you know, the, mm. the, the, the full forward lane, we'll say, and then the action off it went again there a good full forward versus a good full back and so on and so forth so that's where you're seeing a lot more when they give it the almighty effort now it's gone wider over the bar You were say, We were saying before we started the, the build up to the semi-finals feels maybe a little quieter than, than it usually does like it's Wednesday Galway Limerick on Saturday you've Clare Kenny on Sunday it doesn't feel like all are in semi-final week maybe it's because they were 
four All Ireland quarterfinals in the football last weekend that we're still digesting, and also that, as you were saying, Nathan, that there hasn't been much in the line of media. There's not even looking at the papers today, and uh, maybe I've missed a couple, but like Pat Horgan has been interviewed in all the papers talking about TJ Reid. <laughs> so they're trying to get players from the counties that have been knocked out to talk about the four counties that are still in it mm. to make a story. From what I'm aware, I don't think any of the four counties. Uh, did any media at all ahead of this and again I'm sure everyone watching is going tough lads it's not about ye but just for people trying to get excited about this to get to know a little bit more about the players I know Kilkenny you saw us uh, and still do a great final press night and they get everyone down to Langton's and uh, you get the bit of steak and all that down there and uh, <laughs> Cody would have the chat and you'd get five or six players as well but uh, it does feel as though and it's not just hurling hurling and football they're not helping themselves with the lack of access to players at the moment yeah definitely I suppose they're Afraid of so much going on in the, the media and social media is now they're probably trying to protect their players and that they feel that's their duty. Like um, you look at say John Kiley, like this weekend there is so much to promote. Like John Kiley, I see he's been in twelve finals, twelve national finals, hasn't lost one. Mm. He's trying to get to the All Ireland final again to make it thirteen out of thirteen. Henry Shefflin over Galway, like Shefflin has won. Oh, 10 all earns as a player he's won 3 or 4 club all earns as a player he's won 2 club all earns finals as a manager he's be- like I wonder is he trying to become the first manager to win as a player and as a manager uh, an all earned club and an all earned senior inter-county mm. like, that's incredible stuff to just do. so he'll have it over Cody <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah sure Cody probably has it all except for an all earned in the club as a manager so that'll tell you how <laughs> hard it is. That photo um, of, of Cody, like, the, was it the Leinster final when Kenny got the last minute goal and he's in the crowd giving an absolute load? Oh, and brilliant. I don't think I'd ever seen Brian Cody smile that much. Yeah, it was, uh, well, that was an amazing day, you know, for because it was so dramatic. Yeah. Like, you were up eight points in the Leinster final, Galway bringing down, they had the ball in the safest place of all time, was in the corner underneath the, the Davin stand, and you couldn't see a goal coming from it and Killian Buckley then who was defender for most of his career gets the chance and slots it lovely into the corner and like I said to the lads I was working on that game as well I say thank God it wasn't live because <laughs> <laughs> you know it would have been like local radio and um, you could see that I think emotion in all the Kilkenny people that day and the supporters but ah yeah Cody was always a great man to celebrate a win like you know he he never shied away from you look at him after any of his All-Ireland victories yeah before that he kept it calm enough because the ultimate goal was to win the All-Ireland but when he won All-Irelands he was a great man to to show his emotions and um, absolutely unreal and you know sure listen that's what we're looking into to, to, to Saturday Galway and Limerick um, could be historic can you see it going any any way other than a than a Limerick victory? I guess the the question is you mentioned Galan, like he, Galway can't really allow Galan to score one four inside and expect to go on and win the game. Is Dahi Burke the man you put on Galan or how do you how do you marshal yeah. it? I'd probably leave Garrod in on it. Like right. I wouldn't change around the team at this stage. Garrod, I know he was taken off the last day, but sometimes if you had a poor game the first day, so his the All Ireland quarter final, you're revved up. There's no needs to talk to you at all in the next two weeks because you'll have your own self in you know, already. And I'd say Garrod McInerney known him 
and knowing the way he's been playing over the last couple of years, he will be absolutely. Now he'll need plenty of support from his um, from uh, from his defenders, uh, Dai Burks and and uh, Parag Mannion with him and Joseph Cooney because you never defend on your own. Like JJ Laney used to always say that with us, like you don't ever defend on your own. You're always defending with someone. And that's the sign of the great defences that they defend together. So if McInerney is in there, when that ball breaks, he'll need his cornerbacks, he'll need his wingbacks hoovering in around him. But uh, it is it is an incredible task what he, what he has to take on. He has to take on um, Galan. I'd leave out Dahi Cinder back, you know, try and shore up the the middle. But listen, Galwick can they beat can they beat Limerick? Like they're the one team that have always beaten favourites in semi finals. Mm-hmm. Like you go back to zero one when Kilkenny were the all conquering team two thousand and they won the Leinster final again in two thousand. But well, you know, and they shot Kilkenny in that semi final and. Um, you know, Richie Murray out midfield, they gave it loads in the in the throw in before the game. Uh Eugene Clown in a goal with with a, you know, I think it was a kick into the back of the neck, Kevin Broderick, the solo and ball over over the Kenny defender's head. Like they're a brilliant team in semi finals, they're afraid of no one in semi finals. Mm-hmm. Even go back to zero five, the only other in semi final our team lost was that zero five one against Galway and Shefflin said after the last game he's waiting for the team to spark. Well, they, they sparked in zero five, and they have often sparked in semi-finals. Um, zero fifteen, go back to fifteen when uh, the, the the Tipperary, the great Tipperary team of the Callanans and Noel McGrath and that they were half favourites in that final. Galway turned them over again in seventeen. Tipperary All Ireland champions, so they have history. They have history, and they know how to hang in there. I was listening to Scahill on the hurling pod a couple of weeks ago, making the point. You know, people sort of talk about. Uh, Galway at times as if there's some sort of mental weakness and that they collapse like if actually if you look at as you go through their championships over the last decade even generally it's one score one score they're there right till the bitter end so they can hang on in there and maybe just like it's a bit of confusion as to where Limerick are obviously Declan Hannah been out injured there's been a few injuries Keen Lynch still not sure as to exactly where he is and like is there a pressure of the four in a row like when you think back to two thousand and nine and Kilkenny getting the four in a row, was that a was that a yee coming back to the pack or was that tip catching up? Yeah, well, I definitely think in zero four, um, it was hugely intense when we were going for the three in a row. That time you couldn't do a three in a row. Mm. If, if if you remember that time, like to do a two in a row was was an amazing feat. So to do a three in a row was like going to be historic. And definitely zero four that year. The whole year was like Limerick's year this year. It was tough. You were fighting against the fight all year long. And eventually, Cork Blue was away in the mm. All-Ireland final. Just, I think it was a 17 points to nine. Just kind of a cakewalk nearly near the end, really. Like, you know, the whole fight... I wouldn't say the fight was gone out, but the freshness was definitely gone. And Limerick have been like that so far. Now, the only thing for Limerick is it happened so early in the season. Like, they were flying it in the league. Suddenly, they went through that round robin. So, have they had four weeks now to just freshen up? Remember John Kiley was talking about... You know, give them a week off, and then we'll get going for the mm-hmm. semi-final. Like he is the master of psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, the like, freshness is, isn't something you can fake. Oh, absolutely not. But if they did take a week off, and you know, possibly took it easy, like the pressure. When you talk about freshness, is yeah. that a is that a physical thing or a mental thing? It's mostly mindset. It's a um, in in my view. Like remember, um, Bill Hensey used to play for Tullerone. He, he was on the Kenny team and. No, 92, 93, and a couple of years after, 91 as well, a couple of years after that. But the great Willie O'Connor used to say to him that time, you'd rather be fresh than fit. <laughs> and he's huge, you know, because when you're when you're fresh, you're hungry. You'd go off, you'd win a ball you shouldn't win. 
the ball will be there and you'll do you'll put in your foot you'll put in your hand you'll put in your head like remember Larry Murphy in the, was it the 96 or 97 Leinster final was it Jerry Canning or on the lads said during the game watching it Larry Murphy he put in his head or other lads wouldn't put their hurl you know that's freshness mm. that's hunger that's savagery and that's what you need when you come because usually when you get to semi-final stage and final stage there's not much between the teams and it could be that one like you take Limerick and all their greatness and all their all-conquering team they win a lot of matches be a point or two mm. so one lad putting in his head where another lad put, wouldn't pose hurl could turn them over you know and it's all clear did that earlier on in the year because eventually they only ended up wouldn't be a point or two so it could be that one tackle like people always say about the mistakes Jesus, we didn't make that mistake mistakes happen and if you, if you don't go for it you won't ever make mistakes but it could be the ball that will say if you if you think of the ball that you go for not the mistake that you make but if I had to win for that ball a diving block maybe or a, a flick or win for you know follow your man instead of not following him that one time that could be the difference in turning over a team so um, yeah listen will Limerick have that the weekend who knows they've dealt with a lot of controversies this, you know red cards yellow cards injuries huge amount of long term injuries over, over the time possibly maybe the likes of like I've been down with a couple of just superstars Sean Finn Keane Lynch will be two of them mm. Finn is out Keane Lynch is you know hasn't been playing lately um, so they could have huge impacts on the when, when you're talking about freshness and, and, and even mental freshness, Tommy, like, do you, so do you mean like I guess when there's a one week gap between matches, you're you're straight back onto the training pitch for recovery and all the rest on the Monday or Tuesday, no time to really relax. Whereas maybe if you have a two week break, you can have the couple of pints on the Saturday night or Sunday night, or maybe the takeaway on the Sunday night as well, and, and not feel too bad about it. Is just is it that opportunity to to park it and remove yourself from from the game that you mean? Yeah, I think two weeks is probably short as well, right. Shane. So. You're probably more looking at three weeks. Yeah, um, two weeks is still short. Um, thousand and I'd say it was thirteen. I think it was thirteen. We played um, Dublin in Port Leash, and um, no, it was twelve. The year Galway Bez in the Linster final, we were absolutely psyched for. I think Dublin were after beating us in the league final the year before, so we still had that kind of hanging over us. Uh, up in betting league final bet as well and the daily was over him so we had Port Dublin and Port Leash and the Leinster semi-final year after 2012 and they were um, you know people were starting to tip him to, to, to beat us so we were absolutely you know on the money for not two weeks I'd say six months waiting <laughs> for this game and um, we you know absolutely I'd say played over skins that day the Leinster final was two weeks later and we weren't ready for it. Mm. Galway blew us out of, the way, out of the water. So I would say probably three, four weeks. And that's why I, I would give Limerick the chance of freshness coming back. Is it four weeks since the Munster final? That's a, that's a week off. And then probably two weeks of you know in-house games. And then this week probably freshen off again. So I give them... This, this four weeks could have been huge to the freshness of Limerick. Can it be too big a gap for Limerick? Not if you have a great team and a great panel because you can have great matches in training. I think the four or five week break, six week break, if you rewind back to the Munster champions over the years, they used to suffer. They used to win a Munster final for the first time in years. They'd have a six week break to the semi final and they'd get beaten. But the, the teams with the great panels, I felt, had a much bigger advantage because you would have them challenge matches against players that were just as good, if not better, than the starting team mm. in training. Uh, like if you, you know, if you look at this Limerick team at the moment, we'll say 
you know, they're American subs that, you know, Keen Lynch, you know, these guys, Richie English, you know, so the subs are brilliant, all Peter Casey on and off, um, you know, Graham Mulcahy. So you can imagine marking them lads in training. You're getting ready for it all day, probably for the two days previous, just to have a great day in training. So the teams with the big panels have a huge advantage in that sense. And I'd say Galway do have a good panel this year. Clear of a very good panel. You know, you have, you have guys on and off that. Ian Galvin's on and off the team, you know. Um, you know, great backs in there. You know, Flanagan and Sean Amori. The lads on and off that field. So I think the four teams left in it have good panels. Can I just ask you one last thing on uh, Limerick then and the way they set up with, you know, you talk about the superstars. Declan Hannon is like the steady Eddie in that team. Like yeah. the captain... Guaranteed eight out of ten minimum in every game. Who replaces Hannon? So Hannon, I would imagine you won't change around your team too much. So I'd say um, probably Colin Collum will will come in. Um, I'd say centre back, like uh, unless they bring over Kyle Hayes, but he's so effective, on mm. it, especially in Crow Park. He kind of goes up and down that left wing underneath. Say if they're playing down to the Davin, up and up and down that Cusick stand, and a lot of times people don't kind of follow him. I'm sure Shefflin will probably have a, a man to mark him this this weekend but I wouldn't I'd be probably slow to take him out of the centre and just nip him Colin Coughlin straight in centre back but um, usually you don't want to make too many changes um, to a team but Declan Hannon what Declan Hannon is is he, he's the guy that can the old school hover around centre back he lets Burns then go up a bit and do his shooting he lets Kyle Hayes go up and down because he's the one constant always there to cover the, the full back the they do a lot of out balls the Limerick team they're probably the best team in the business at coming out with the ball in transition and he's there and you can't keep your eye off him either because he'll come up and hit the ball and run over the bar from from 70 yards so yeah no listen Hannon will be a huge loss but they have a good guy to come in and set him from, I saw Michael Dignan suggesting you know Limerick could, could throw a curve, curve ball and maybe throw Cian Lynch at 6 would allow Cahill O'Neill to go back in at 11 he was great off the bench in the Munster final like as well Like, but it may, as you say maybe it's too late in the day to make Changes that drastic, possibly, is it? I think that's a bit drastic. Yeah, like, that'd be a big one, all right. Um, it wouldn't be one that he's, you know, if it, like Keane Lynch will be. If we talk about Declan Hannon staying back in the pocket, mm. Keane Lynch, I would imagine that natural draw of him to go up and put the ball <laughs> over the bar. And I probably. His genius is in his creative genius, like, mm. you know, that he's hovering around, he's able to open up a, a defence with, with a split ball if he's back trying to be disciplined and covering back like like half of a, a defender's job is running back towards his own goal to help out and to take balls back off opposition forward so probably, probably oh, that's the, the ultimate it's Keith Lynch as a defender maybe a bit of creative genius in the half back line is, is exactly what they need yeah, yeah. you know fresh oh, enough could defend yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brain is going off. It's a massive insult there <laughs> he couldn't possibly do it yeah no not for me no. <laughs> the, uh, the Clerical Kenny game then on Sunday um, it appears it was recorded reports today John Conlon and Dave McInerney are winning their their races they're expected to feature which is good news obviously for, for Clare fans That that's massive isn't it like, it could have been the turning point in the game Conlon and McInerney not being fit yeah well, it probably was last year yeah. semi-final against Kilkenny Conlon out and Tony Kelly hit but kept by uh, Mikey Butler because Conlon is just like a half-back line whatever about defending he has to be the like guy getting the ball into the forwards mm. and if you have a good forward line like Clare have at the moment what they need is ball the more ball they get the better the more damage will do Mark Rogers in the corner and Galvin in the corner you know Peter Duggan will cause chaos with the high balls coming in for the Shane O'Donnell's and that coming in 
So I think John Connell is crucial because, right, his man might score a couple of points, mm. but he's driving, driving, driving all day long. Plus, he's the spiritual leader of that clear team. If Lohan is the spiritual leader on the sideline, John Connell is definitely on the team. Tony Kelly will get the scores and he'll drive him from far line, but in the backs, people love a back that comes out with the ball and, you know, creates huge, you know, opportunities for the forwards. And Connell is definitely that man. We've seen him in the first time when his brother's wedding the, the huge scenes after that win when uh, Conor was brilliant but listen you know he'll have his work cut out like um, the half back line McInerney not sure why his injury was before the semi-final and a whole lot about it but, or the Munster final but the half back line is crucial for them like you go back to any all Ireland winning teams like the half back lines are the guys that stop the ball going into a good full forward line and they're the team that drive on getting the ball into their own forward line so you have Dear Moraine who was probably having one of the seasons of his life McInerney on the other side mm. and Conlon in the middle if you're a half forward you know you're not going to be like marking any of them so I think it's it's huge for Clare that they that, that, that have John Conlon and then the big one will be Tony Kelly versus Mikey Butler like you know um, can Mikey Butler do it twice in a row very difficult to do a huge challenge for him but listen if anyone can do it Mikey can um, is it difficult to do it twice in a row? Ah, like, do you not, have you not figured it out the first time? <laughs> figured it out, yeah. As soon as you have something figured out, it's like golf. I don't play golf, but here, lads, you think of it figured out, then it all goes. <laughs> Same as snooker, Tommy. I know you play snooker as well. Same yeah. thing. You feel like once you've done it once, you can, you can do it, but it's not, it doesn't always be that simple, I suppose. Yeah, well, there's so many variables in hurling, especially like at least in maybe set piece games like that. Like you can maybe visualise and that, but that can happen and. In hurling, like Tony runs one way, the ball breaks another way, suddenly you're, you know, but listen, Tony, wow, he scored 3-4 the last day, like I said it there during the week, that like if you score 3-4 in training, you expect Michael Lee Higgins come down the helicopter and <laughs> <laughs> shake her hand, but, uh, you know, but amazing stuff, like for him to be still doing it, like at 29 or 30 years of age, so... That'll be huge, but the one thing for Tony is the weekend he's huge backup. If they do hold him, you know, Rogers is absolutely flying it in the corner. Shane O'Donnell is in the form of his life. You know, he's now scoring, you know, one, two or one, three the last day. He was, I thought, felt he fell into the trap the last couple of years before maybe last year of just, I'm the provider. I'll keep setting him up and um, score yourself if the opportunity is there. And I think Shane is doing that again this year and mm. he had a, a massive couple of games now as well and Definitely dog him. If you've small players like Kelly and Rogers and Galvin, these lads, you need a few big lads to 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 do it up. And Davy Fitzgerald, he's an absolute rocket for a big man. Mm. You can know he's six foot four, six foot five, but speed, you know, when he goes, he's gone. And he can set up opportunities then for the lads. So listen, the, yeah, the pressure won't be on just Conan and Tony Kelly clear of, of good forwards. We should before we let you go, Tommy, get your, your predictions. I know they're they're probably two difficult games to, to call. Yeah. Same as last year. Um but how how you feel both are Yeah, both sure the Kilkenny clear one I'm gonna go with James Skehill's way of predicting things. I think Kilkenny will win it because I really, really want them to win. Wrong <laughs> <laughs> yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. So That's good logic. <laughs> I liked it. And uh in the fourth semi final then I think Limerick. Limerick are the champions. Deserve to be favourites, and it'll take a great team to stop them. They have the four-week break. Um, said it time and time again. Freshness is crucial when you're champions. Mm. They've had four weeks now to freshen up. They've Keen Lynch now to come back in. You know, off of you'd imagine he'd be picked on and be raring to go. Hegarty hasn't been going particularly well. Tom Morris and Galan were probably the main guys for the last couple of months, really driving that team on. Uh, Dear Burns, but yeah, I think Limerick will. Um, 
They will just um, paper on Saturday. The Mickle-Kenny final. Heard it here first. Yeah, Go again. Did. Exactly. We'll, we'll chat to you again before the before the final. Day. Tommy, thanks for yeah. for popping in as always. A pleasure. Thanks for for being with us. Uh, Eight thirty four a.m. on this uh, Wednesday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from off the ball. I should mention as well the clip that you heard earlier from the uh, the football pod during the break is in partnership with AIB, proud sponsors of the football hurling and camogie all Ireland club championships. Check out the hashtag the toughest for more. Now we're going to turn our attention to the uh, rugby in the Irish under twenties. Uh, road, I guess, to the uh, semi-finals of that World, uh, World Championships down in South Africa. Alan Quinlan is joining us on the line this morning. Quinny, how are things? Uh, good, thanks, lads, and yourselves. Keeping well, Quinny. Uh, thanks for hopping on. Uh, it's been uh, it's been a mad tournament for for more reasons than, than one, Quinny. And of course, the Irish team has had to deal with a lot of um, a lot of terribly tragic circumstances around the, the group. Greg Oliver, of course, the uh, father of the uh, Irish scrum half, Jack. Uh, dying earlier this week uh, after a paragliding accident, and then you've the St Michael's pupils as well, Max Wall and Andrew O'Donnell, uh, dying on, on, in separate incidents on the same holiday in Greece. Uh, and I know they would have both been uh, very friendly with mo- uh, different members of this uh, Irish under twenty squad. Uh, it's hard to get their head around it, and, and an unbelievably brave um, performance yesterday under the, the circumstances. Yeah, it was um, obviously really difficult. I think Richie Murphy said this. Um, you know, they they had to make a decision that the, the night before whether they were actually going to play the game or not, which was um, must have been really difficult. I think the shock and uh, the the unbelievable sadness that must have been in the group. Um, they must have been rocked by that whole thing, given obviously what happened Andrew O'Donnell and Max Max um, Max Wall as well um, before. Um, they got the news of of what happened to one of their teammates' fathers, um, you know, Jack Oliver's dad, Greg. Um, so it was a lot to take, um, particularly when you're dealing with you know, a, a, you know, a match, number of changes in the side, all that kind of stuff. And you probably think um, the sport isn't important here, and how how are you going to kind of get yourself right to go out and play a match? So. Um, very emotionally charged situation for them and um, they handle themselves amazingly well I think I think if you go through the performance of course there's there's a few mistakes and errors but that didn't um, that didn't matter I think the fact that they were able to go out onto the field and and get a result I think in honour you know Andrew O'Donnell Max Max Wall and, and Greg Oliver their families um, and in particular their their their, their teammate Jack Oliver, who just had lost his dad in, in tragic circumstances, um, it's hard to, to actually actually fathom how how they were able to do that and how they had the energy and kind of um, drive to go out and play a match. Look, I know they're, you know, it's a big game, it's a, it's a big tournament for them, um, but just to get the heads right. So I think, you know, the players deserve huge credit for that, Shane themselves, and they're young men who, you know are learning in life and uh you know they're 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 it's it's a lot to take for them but i think richie murphy who's done an amazing job with this group anyway in the last two seasons um you know his guidance and the rest of his coaches and and the management of the ireland under 20s um i'm sure they did a great job in in trying to give give them support but also giving them the option and um richie murphy kind of did give them the option whether they wanted to play or not and you know, they came together and uh, went out and, and got a result that they needed to get to put themselves into the semi-finals. They must be exhausted physically, mentally, emotionally, 
Um, and I, I was really proud to, to, to commentate in that game and really proud to see what they were doing yesterday. Um, as I said, r- incredibly tough situation for those, those guys. Greg Oliver, uh, such a terrible tragedy down in South Africa. A former Scotland international, so a fine player in his own right, but uh, went on to become uh, very much a monster man. Yeah, he was uh, he was a wrong monster when I was playing there a lot. Um, whether he was doing stuff with the the academy underage players, um, you know, involved in the A team, getting them ready for matches. Um, he was ever present, and and I would see him a lot around the place. Um, he was a lovely fella, uh, quiet, unassuming, um, and very popular with a lot of young players coming through because he would have been involved in, in their development and their skill development. And um, yeah, it's 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 just it's it's hard to fathom what what how this happened and why it happened and and that it actually happens really, you know when. You know, I think I was looking at the crowd yesterday, Nathan, and and you see some, you see the parents in the crowd, and I actually felt for them because, you know, I know from my my own parents going to matches when I was younger, um, they become friends, the other parents, and and they create a bond, and they kind of, uh, my mum still has that with some of my ex teammates' parents. Um, they're getting older. You know, it's been a while since we all played together, but. It's a lovely kind of part of of being, um, you know, going on that journey. You see your parents connect with the other parents, and looking at the crowd yesterday, like they, they, they were even their celebrations for some of the tries that Ireland scored. It was it was subdued because um, Greg would have been part of that group for the last um, period of time himself and his wife, and I'm sure they're absolutely rocked and devastated by that as well. That's you know. A part, someone part of their group um, supporting the team. Um, so yeah, it's 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 hard to it's hard to put it into words really. And, and you know, my thoughts and prayers are with with his family. Um, I can't bear thinking what it's been like for for Jack Oliver to to get that news. You know, last week he came off the bench against Australia and. Um, he was smiling and delighted and happy and joyful. And that's the situation. In one moment, he's involved in a game here. He's on the bench against against Fiji. And, and you get that news that something like that has happened. So um, incredibly hard and sad and difficult situation. And, um, you know, Greg was very popular with everybody. I think you even see the, you know, ex, I, I saw Craig Chalmers tweeting about it, other Scottish internationals. Um Every, he was a very popular person and um, loved his rugby. Colin McMahon, who um, worked with him a lot in Munster. Um, you know, I read a statement from Colum yesterday um, speaking about, you know, his enthusiasm for the game. Um, I actually just... He's just one of these coaches, Nathan, you see he's out there like half an hour before any session and he's getting calls ready and, and it's just... It's, their, it's his life, you know. And he's had various different roles with the Ireland under-20s. Gary Owen was his club. Uh, Munster, he coached Cashel at one stage. Um, his enthusiasm and love for the game um, was second to none. And, you know, for 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 a, a guy like that to go and support your son and kind of go on a trip of a lifetime and, and, and for that to happen is... He's just incredibly unfortunate and, and sad. Um, but he was a very popular fella and... Uh, 
it's a really tough situation for everybody. Yeah, definitely. And echo those sentiments as well, Quinny. The thoughts of everyone at uh, off the baller with the families of Max Wall and Andrew Donnell and Greg Oliver as well. So that's a, a tragedy on an unimaginable scale for the for the team that, that are over there as well, and for those families in particular. Um, and on the pitch, and it look, it, it feels almost um, shallow to be talking about matters on pitch after uh, such a tragic week. But um, forty-seven points to twenty-seven win over Fiji, Ireland now advanced to the to the semi-finals of this World Under Twenty Rugby Championship as winners of their pool as well. Um, and they showed so much strength yesterday, Quinny. But to, to, to race into that lead and then I, I guess to to stay composed when Fiji came back into the game was one of the more impressive things. Yeah, one of, one of the attributes and, and, and qualities of this side, Shane, is is their is their character and the resilience. They've shown that throughout the Six Nations when they've been under pressure. When you know, I would go right back to the first game um, against Wales when Wales kind of went ahead a few times in that game in that first half and looked like they were turning the tides and going to pull away. Um, you know, there's no panic in this group. They went up the field and, and got the, the scores when they needed to. And they did that throughout the championship. And again, in this tournament, you know, you go back to that game against England, the start when they drew, um, you know, they, they came back twice in the game, got a, a good lead in the in the 65th minute, got England took the lead and, and uh, or England came back and levelled it and looked like they were going to win it. Um, so there's one thing that they really have is great strength of character and that comes from obviously from good coaching and, and the type of person people you have in, in the team um, but they have a lot of good leaders as well who don't panic so you know yesterday obviously we've we've spoken about how difficult it would, would have been given what was on their minds um, but you know there was no panic again in that second half the game got a bit loose they were comfortable at half time. Um, their line out and their kickoff receipts were, were poor yesterday, and that caused them problems. When 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 their structure was good, I think they were able to you know keep, deny Fiji of any sort of possession, and uh, the game opened up a little bit. And then the two tries after high, half time, and it's back to within four points. You're thinking this is this is trouble for Ireland, um, but they kicked on again and. and and um, got the scores and the win that they they rightly deserved, really, I think. And, um, you know, they could feel very good about themselves. I'm sure they were, as I said, emotionally drained. Um, there was a lot of changes in that side yesterday, which is always a risky situation for any team. But Richie Murphy had to make those changes, given the, the quick turnaround of these matches. Um, so... You know, there was a few mistakes, but there was a lot of players who stepped up again and said, and showed that you know they have big futures in front of themselves. And um, on that, Quinny, on those players now. that that have stood up, uh, because you know you've spoken a lot there about the character of uh, the game yesterday, but also like those first couple of games, the conditions were so tough. Like this was a group that just had to stick together and really grind it out. But when you look at the individuals and the skill sets that they're bringing, who are the who are the guys that have stood out in the first few games? Well, uh, you know, we've highlighted Brian Gleeson and, and again, um, he was the one forward that started from from uh, from the Australian game. There was seven seven different guys in there um, yesterday. I think um, yeah, I think they've shown their depth in the squad. You know, um, Danny Sheehan played at hooker, Fiona Barrett. Um, they're guys who'd be coming off the bench. In, in, in the Six Nations um, Evan O'Connell um, really good yesterday um, as well and um, then you had Joe Hopes coming into the side um, and and uh, Dan Barron Dan Barron making his debut I thought he played really well 
So these are the guys that played yesterday. But if you if you if you kind of look at the big names who've been delivering, like say they're big names, you know, Conor O'Tiernig, uh, Ruan Quinn, Brian Gleeson, uh, James McNabney. Unfortunately, he's going to miss the. You know, he he may be back if they get to a final. He got suspended. Um, the captain has been brilliant, Gus McCarthy. You know, he's he's been a real leader for them. Um, John Devine in the centre. I said that in commentary. You know, he's he's been ever present in this team and and a superb player. Um, so there's a lot of them there. There's you know, I think Andrew Osborne, you Gavin, these guys, Henry McAleen, the fullback, superb. Um, they've got continuity, and I think look, re- the reality is they know his best team are, are the likes of those guys that I've mentioned. Um, a lot of the players yesterday are backing them up. Um, but very closely backing them up, which is, you know, a great sign of of the the, the depth that he's uh, that Richie Murphy has developed with this side. So um, who knows whether it'll be good enough or not? But I think, you know, in in a really tough group, um, particularly the the England and Australia games, they were always going to be really tricky. Australia before this tournament, there was a lot of talk that um, they could kind of really challenge for this for this tournament and this competition. So. Um, they've done remarkably well again, and I think you know they play South Africa now in a semi-final, which is um, there. I say it; it's one that you kind of think I'll have a really good chance, even again. It's against the hosts at home, but um, they've shown their own flaws and vulnerabilities as well. South Africa are a very powerful side, but hopefully Ireland can regroup now um, and and deal. In, in whatever way they need to in the next couple of days and get ready for that game on Sunday. Are those things that you mentioned, the, the line-outs and the, the restarts maybe not being up to scratch uh, as they had been in previous games, is that a concern going forward to the semi-final or is that just because of, I guess, as you say, all the changes made to the team? I think it was 10 changes in all by, made by Richie Murphy. Is it a concern? Well, it's always a concern. Um, it, is it a catastrophe? No. Um, of course it's a concern and these are things that look at the very top level of the game it can happen in certain matches where there's a breakdown of communication the opposition are putting pressure on your line out um, things just start to go wrong and it snowball has a snowball effect I think it's crucial if Ireland want to get to a final and try and challenge and try and win this um, it's an area they have to get better at um, there's, there's, it's probably a, a mixture of timing issues um, and it wasn't just in yesterday's game. There was there was there was a couple of lineouts in in the Australia and England game that um, that they lost as well. Um, I think the changes probably yesterday there was more lineouts that they lost, and there was more breakdowns in that communication and that that whole package. Um, that was probably down to the change as well. New players coming in, um, not doing it on a regular basis against quality opposition who were thrown players up in the lineup. Do you know what I mean? You could do it in training all day long. Um, the the kickoff receipts, it, it's a coach's nightmare really if you score um, a try or a penalty and you're receiving a kickoff and you knock it on or you don't gather it and the opposition get the ball and they get a score. Um, it's the most frustrating part of the game for me and most coaches would probably say the same. Um, you want to win that kickoff, set something up and get into the opposite, opposition's half again. That can be draining as a player when teams do that really well and good teams do that. So um, they can fix it. Of course they can. They've got to work on this, um, get their time and right. Um, sometimes simplify things. I think they're a very brave side and they've a lot of courage. So, you know, they throw a lot of ball to the tail of the line. Whereas 
on occasions um, it's maybe just about winning it at the front sometimes and being pragmatic and you know I spoke after the England game maybe a little bit of game management around the kicking game particularly now if you're you're in you're you're in a semi-final um, territory is vital doing the simple things really well it sounds boring because I think they can play and we've seen that um, but they're the things that they need to be better at going forward and you know I think if they can get into a final France are obviously everybody's favourites and three bonus point wins they've demolished all three three oppositions that they've played against um, they look incredibly powerful um, but if Ireland were to get there and um, you know it'd be a wonderful achievement and they could have a real crack at it but obviously it's got to got to play a good South African side first um, but I think you know being in a semi-final is, is is a really good return so far, but they'll want more. Before we let you go, Quinny, we should ask you about this uh, new biennial tournament for the Six Nations and, and Sanzar teams. So, big changes to the to the rugby calendar on the horizon. Uh, so, this is going to come in from 2026, we're told. Um, and Six Nations working with Sanzar, this organisation, which includes South Africa, New Zealand, Australia and Argentina. Uh, this is going to take place in the existing July and November international windows. Uh, it'll feature all the Six Nations and Sanzar teams and then two further spaces reserved for invitational unions which will join the Southern Hemisphere group apparently players were involved in this uh, process as well in terms of coming up with, with this um, new addition to the calendar what are your your thoughts after hearing about it this week? Yeah it's not completely ratified yet obviously it goes to the World Rugby Council meeting in October I think and it, it, it will be ratified I think it will be um, I think there's mixed views obviously I think particularly if you look online um, there's a lot of concern around tier two nations um, that you know they won't get to play the top nations for potentially four years. I, I've seen regular comments saying that you know Georgia, who their under twenties did really well, uh, they beat Argentina, they just missed out on points difference of, of getting into the semi-finals. You know they mightn't play a tier one nation for four years because this is every two years now in between Lions tours and World Cups. Um, on the face of it, yes, it, it will really kind of um, intensify the competition regarding the July test windows, uh, the summer test windows and November test windows. That They're now going to be um, not what the, the rugby haters sometimes describe as friendlies anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're going to be competitive now and there's going to be points on the board to qualify for, you know, in, the, in this nation's league Um I do. I, I do think the the the, the, re, the promotion relegation thing, which doesn't come into place for the first two tournaments, if I'm right in saying that. So, from 2026 to 202030, it's ring fenced. Um, I would have brought the promotion relegation into it straight away, mm. um, and give those tier two nations um, an opportunity to, you know, to to challenge and improve. So, I think. Look, the the rugby will be better. Um, it will be more competitive in a sense that there's really something on the line now. You know, I played in te- the test matches many times and they never felt like friendlies to me. Uh, but I think it is an opportunity to grow the game, but they must, World Rugby must not forget about the Tier 2 nations because um, it's it's to, to make the improve the game which uh, and to improve its appeal globally, I think, is part of the reason they're doing this. But there is a concern that the tier two nations now could fall back a little bit. There'll obviously be money TV rights from this. Um, it's been driven by Six Nations and Sanzar. Um, 
they've got to really be mindful of what happens to tier two nations here. And again, hopefully when we see it in action and see it in place, it will be beneficial to everyone and improve the game. Yeah, exactly. I agree with you. I think the Jeopardy straight away would be probably making more sense. But um, listen, we'll keep an eye on it anyway. Quinny, great stuff as always. Thanks for hopping on this morning. Cheers, lads. Thanks. Brilliant stuff, Alan Quinlan there at 8.54am on this Wednesday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from Off the Ball with myself and Nathan with you until 10 o'clock this morning still to come. Jason Quigley, the Donegal boxer, will be with us uh, live in the studio. The uh, Olympian, Stacey Flood, Irish seven star. How are things? I'm not an Olympian yet. But, um, <laughs> you will be hopefully an Olympian, yeah. one day. Touch, touch wood, we'll touch Once all the you're an Olympian, you're always an Olympian. I remember uh, we had a panel one day with three Olympians and uh, Gary O'Toole, the great swimmer, was in and I uh, went through his uh, list of achievements and introduced him as uh, Gary O'Toole. I said former Olympian and he uh, corrected me and said, once, once an Olympian, always an Olympian. It's a fair point. I'll let you know if I ever get there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, uh, everyone gets the rings, don't they? The tattoo of the Olympic rings. Is that a don't still a don't Yeah, Ricky, Fow- Ricky Fowler won the uh, big golf tournament in America on Sunday night and he has the uh, straight away he has the rings no, he has the rings oh, sorry, he has the rings them, yeah, so yeah, yeah when yeah, he was yeah, you yeah. could see it yeah I think most of the sevens lads have them so uh, it's kind of awaiting our team hopefully yeah absolutely you're thinking about it you're trying to, you're trying to play it cool here yeah uh, tonight it's, it'd be nice to have the, the men's and women's team both there I mean that's that's a, a massive thing in and of itself yeah like it's a massive achievement I think it's the first um Men, men and women's team uh, from the same sport to ever qualify for an Olympic so I think that's an achievement in, in itself and then obviously like it's just grown the sport so much already and hopefully that still continues yeah. what, do, what does the next year I guess look like how do, how do, how do you prepare for an Olympic Games is it, is it tournament after tournament is it a lot of pre-season and relaxing or, or how does it look yeah, so we actually finished yesterday for our off-season. Um, so I can't remember the last time I had an off-season, but um, it's, it's here now. Um, so we have five weeks off, and then we're in back in on the 14th of August for a block of pre-season. And then we have a pre-season kind of tournament games um, they're actually in Ireland so hopefully people can come uh, around and watch that so I think uh, Australia are going to come over maybe one or two other teams um, to play against us and then another week off or two and then another pre-season block and then um, into the World Series in Dubai and Cape Town in November December yeah it's a lot of it's a lot of travelling a lot of playing like when you look at the, the different places I think you've been to Dubai early December then your tournaments in Cape Town Hamilton, Sydney, Vancouver, Hong Kong. Like, you've travelled the world, essentially, with this team. Yeah, um, and some of the locations are the same, but they vary each year. Um, So you're kind of just travelling, obviously, to do a job and to work hard, uh, which is the basis of our team because it's high performance, but with a group of girls who you have a common goal with and that you get along with. So in that sense, like, you're travelling the world with your friends and it's, it's quite special and unique. So I think... Yeah, we're very lucky to do what we do and to play where we play. Like, hopefully one day we can have a tournament in Ireland and we can get a home crowd and even get more of a following. So, yeah. Was it limp- qualifying for the Olympics always? And I'm, I know B- Bevan Parsons was in with us, or on with us at one stage a couple of months ago and she, she had always that ambition of getting to an Olympic Games by hook or by crook in some sport, I guess. Mm-hmm. Has, was that always on your radar or is that just something that's come about? Um... When I was younger, obviously I always watched the Olympics, but I never played an Olympic sport. Mm. Like as a young girl growing up playing uh, football for Clannagale, um, all I wanted to do was play in Crow Park. And that would have been my idea of the, the pinnacle. And then obviously as I grew up and I got more into watching the Olympics and I 
it's like actually sevens became an Olympic sport uh, like after I started playing so I was like oh my god this could actually be a goal um, and now I've been in the programme eight or nine years and we've failed to qualify for two Olympics so obviously like that's heartbreaking and you've only had this goal for however long but now that we've done it I'm like oh my god it's happened like how like it doesn't feel real and it still doesn't feel real and when it happened like every, I think everyone if you've seen the last few minutes of our game that we qualified through everyone just looked numb breath legless like everyone was just couldn't believe what was happened and I do think like for some athletes like Baven Parsons and Amy Lee Murphy Crow like they're such like athletes that yeah, they, they probably could have qualified through another sport if they wanted to. But the fact that they get to do it in a team sport with the group of girls we have, I feel like it's it's so special because we're just. I feel like it's so unique and everything's just come together at the right time. I guess the difference for the very young players in the squad is that they could dream of an Olympics when they came in because it was a possibility. Whereas you say when you started out, it wasn't even it wasn't even a sport at the Olympics to even <laughs> think about. Did it? When it did become an Olympic sport, did it change your mindset around sevens rugby that like this now became a attainable target? Yeah, like it's something obviously you think about and you really want. And at the time of our first qualifier, realistically, did I think we were going to qualify? We could, we had a chance, but. I didn't feel like the team was at that point in time ready. And I do think, yes, it did change things for the fact that, oh my God, there's an Olympics on the line here. But um, realistically, going out and representing your country at a world, on a world stage, like the World Series, is such an honour. And like, I never had that goal even, playing GAA. So I think that was such an honour in itself that every time I get to put on that green jersey, I was so grateful and so lucky that... And now I could do that at an Olympics with um, like a whole group of other athletes and everyone's like going for the same goal for Olympic medals. So I think that's even more special because it's on a bigger scale now. You probably spend a lot of time out in the High Performance Centre out in uh, Abbottstown. So there's a lot of Olympians, uh, whether it's uh, the men's team or just in various different codes hanging around. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think it was Ellen Keane said one of the best things is you're just talking to people in that high performance mindset. Have you spoken to people already about yeah, what it's actually like? Yeah, it's funny because that's um, all the like individual athletes uh, training Sport Ireland, and we have like a different building uh, for the Irish Irish rugby. Um, so we actually don't see them day to day. We're like just in our little bubble, if you right. want to call it. But um, I know that the Sport Ireland and the IRFU were working on getting more meetings or like once a week breakfasts with those people, with those other athletes, which will be really beneficial for us. And I do think like for people who have been there before, like there's a lot of questions and like kind of hopefully it's not too big of a shock when we get there because you don't want to be struck when you get to an Olympics mm-hmm. and kind of just sit and just be in awe too Overall much. It, yeah. yeah, like you don't want to be afraid of it so hopefully that we can kind of break down that barrier and kind of just arrive and be ready to play then yeah. and the great thing is it's in Paris so yeah. you know it's accessible for all your family <laughs> and you, the, the credit union loans will be manageable enough for everybody so yeah 100% every um, I have a big family I've come from uh, six kids I'm the youngest of six so um, we've I, we've really big uh, support you sort out. <laughs> yeah. no well so the thing was they had got their tickets before we qualified because it's like a a lottery system so yeah. you have to uh, you have to put your name in and then you get a lottery and then you can buy your tickets within like 38 hours or 48 hours or whatever and uh, they put it in the family group and I was like 
no one put this in the family group. I do not want to see it. I was like, get it away from me. I don't want to see anything about tickets. I was like, we're not there yet. We haven't qualified. Um, I was like, make a separate group. And then obviously your mum and dad, like, um, I was at home and they were like, Stacey, we need your help. And I was like, no. I was like, <laughs> I was like ring somebody else. I'm not helping you. It's like, buy tickets for this. Um, just the fear of it. And it's such an Irish thing to not have that, like, sense of, Confidence. Oh yeah, it'd be grand. Like you know, the yeah, confidence. You don't want to curse it like, either. Yeah, yeah. It's totally a curse. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, and you're yeah, like, oh, if I say it out loud, it's not going to happen. Like, whereas like now everyone's like, if you say it out loud, it'll happen. <laughs> so now I'm like totally swayed. I'm like, if you say it, it's going to happen. Manifest. Then, it would have yeah, needed uh, to keep the separate uh, WhatsApp group if you hadn't qualified anyways. And they were all over in Paris <laughs> at yeah, the games. It was like, what are you doing for the weekend? They're like, no oh, mind. we can go to yeah, something mind. else. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, even this morning, they're like putting accommodation in the in the family group, and it's it's crazy money. But like they're putting in the family group I'm like stop talking about it I'm not there yet yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm like we've qualified but there's still a whole year now to build up to it so you don't want to jinx anything all I'm doing is like touching wood and banging my head every day Have you spoken <laughs> about that I know it's still quite recent uh, the qualification but like this is such a big thing in your lives that it's going to dominate your next year but yeah. at the same time you can't let it be yeah. everything that you need to go through the steps as you say to make sure you're in the squad yeah. uh, to make sure you don't mentally drain yourself across the year just thinking about this one thing yeah like and that's what it was for this year around qualification because obviously not having qualified twice before like and you're in a position now to qualify through the first route of the World Series. So, like, we went the whole year being like, are we going to qualify? Are we not? And we put ourselves 16 points ahead with three or four tournaments to go. So we're like, oh, my God, this is really highly likely. Mm-hmm. And then you're just, like, getting excited. But you're like, you can't get excited. Then, us being us and making it hard, we dropped out for two tournaments, like, dropped down points-wise. Last tournament two points ahead of Fiji, four points ahead of GB. So it's coming down to this last tournament and we're like, how have we done this to ourselves? But then it was like all part of the story, all part of the journey. Like you couldn't have written it. And then to just go and do it then. And I think that that whole year was what we're going to experience again this year. So putting a name on it, like not not speaking about it, because if you don't speak about it, you'll get there and you'll be literally oh no, we're here now and all these feelings come rushing at you. So I, like, we don't want that to happen and I think we've learned valuable lessons this year with, with qualifying and we've been working with um, Siobhan, uh, our sports psych. <laughs> she does wonders for us, um, so give her a little shout out. But um, yeah, no, we've been working with um, her as a team and honestly, I, I didn't know what I was missing until we went and done those group sessions. Like It brought us all together on a different level and really What's connected us. Just like putting a name on things, like we had like a little theme around our last tournament to lose because we knew that it was going to be such a big deal, but we didn't want to get there and then be shell-shocked by it. So I think together we came up with a theme and we just said we were going to be present and be together and just like, just go and do it. Like we're all on this journey together and it was our first way of qualifying we did have two other routes to fall back on but as a team we knew that we wanted to go and do it and like I think that meant so much more and us just being connected and being on the same page we all knew that if everyone's on the same page and we buy in and we're all in like it's gonna happen for us yeah the theming thing seems to be something that's cropped up a lot recently Ronan Agar I know uses theming a lot in his La Rochelle uh, coaching setups 
but that that's the tough thing about the Olympics as well. Like it's a four year cycle, so yeah. like when you, if you don't qualify for two Olympic games, all of a sudden you're you're talking eight years. All of a sudden gone. you're twenty six years old, and then you're on the third cycle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's mad though. But that that must add a little bit of pressure to it as well. Yeah, like and I think that's what people perceive it as, and it is pressure. But if that's how you think about it, you're gonna actually be in that situation yeah. where you let the feelings get over you. It's like. When I used to play GAA, it was like when we got to a county final, I was like, play the game, not the occasion. And obviously that's a really hard thing to do because it's all different. But if you go about your processes in the same way, hopefully it won't be that much different and you can still get performances. Was that ultimately a tough decision for you to, to opt for rugby eventually over GAA? I know your like your sister Kim would have been like, playing the <laughs> Dublin team and the Irish rugby team as well. So like I'm sure you would have looked up to her. But was that a tough decision for you to ultimately make yeah I, lo- I love talking about Kim <laughs> she's she's one of my favourite uh, right. sport players but um and to be fair I'm so lucky I had that like female like athlete to look at when I was growing mm. up because it's it wasn't that visible so I was very lucky to have someone who actually was just pushing boundaries all the time and yeah she wanted to go train and I was like oh I'll just come with you like mm. <laughs> um so I kind of just followed a path she led um but yeah, like I feel like it was natural for me to go towards rugby then when I started playing and the opportunities I was given. It was quite a natural journey and path for me to take. I didn't start playing rugby till I was 16, 17, where I played GAA since I was eight years eight years right. of age. Um, and I played a bit of soccer as well. But um, I didn't have a first touch, so I was no good. <laughs> um, but like I was quite lucky that Kim started rugby three or four years before me and I was like oh no I don't really think it's for me um, I just want to play GA and she was like oh no like sevens isn't too like uh, too much contact like it's just all one on ones like quite a skillful fast game like your your GA skills will transfer over and I was like I didn't believe her I'm not going to lie I didn't actually believe her and then I saw her training away and she was getting really fit and I was like, oh, maybe I'll do it on the off-season of GAA to get fit. Like, this is totally like what I was thinking as like 16, 17-year-olds. Yeah. I was like, oh, double minor, like I'll stay fit off on the off-season. I'll, I'll go and play rugby sevens. Like, And I, that's what I started with. I didn't start with 15. So that's why I like it's my first love of rugby is sevens. Um, and... I was quite lucky that I got opportunities when I was younger so I was playing for the Dublin Miners and at the same time I was doing underage sevens um, and going playing in the school games in the UK and then we played in Sweden in the European Championships and then from there I went straight into the senior squad and I went to a trip to San Diego San Diego uh, 18 people got to go because the coach changed at the time and I was so lucky because I was like oh my god I'm over the other side of the world and I'm with all these girls and they're all so driven and so competitive and I'm like, this is a great lifestyle. Mm-hmm. And I, then I was sold. I was like, oh, I'm going to have to put GAA on the back foot and try try my hand at this because if I can have a chance to represent my country, like that's such a big achievement. And then me and Kim actually ended up getting capped for sevens together and playing on the series Amazing. for a year or two together. So that's obviously such an achievement for both of us, but it felt so natural because we grew up playing like... Um, Gaelic games together and stuff so Proud it's, parents it's really there, nice I imagine. 
I'm not saying I'm the favourite child or anything <laughs> but <laughs> are you the youngest of six you have to be the, like, the, uh, my family the brother's the youngest of four and he's definitely the favourite I think the youngest well, you're particularly bitter about that though you bring yeah. up quite a lot <laughs> he's an age taller than me as well so oh, yeah. I'm actually the tallest girl oh, yeah. in the family but <laughs> yeah now I'd say my brother's my mum's favourite my brother the youngest boy is my mum's favourite but my dad does have a soft spot for me now I have the to parents say parents are watching I guarantee they won't, they won't admit that but uh, they'll be keen no they to, never admit it but no. he never says no well there you go yeah, yeah. No, no denial uh, well, listen Stacey it's a, it's a massive achievement and uh, fair play to you all for, for, for achieving it and I know there's going to be a long build up now for the next year but enjoy it and, and we'll no check in before yeah. did you get to play in Park? no still on the list Kim right? did though she did right, yeah, right, right. Kim did one day hopefully yeah. maybe I'll get like the um one of those charity games. Well, I'll tell you what, no, get yourself an Olympic medal and they'll bring you onto the pitch at a half-time final. Hopefully. You never know. Yeah. Once I get there, if I get there, touch wood. Yeah. Again. That's the look Listen, yeah. thanks for coming in. Thanks Stacey. very much for great. having me. Great to chat to you. Stacey Flood there from the Irish uh, Sevens team at uh, ten past nine on this Wednesday morning's OTBM, the sports breakfast show from off the ball. Just want to mention uh, Galway Kilkenny. But not as you know it. The Hurling Pod Live is off to the Budgosh Energy Theatre in Dublin this July and you are invited. We will be joined on stage by the co-hosts James Skell and Paul Murphy as well as special guest Joe Canning and more hurling legends to be announced very soon as we debate the 2023 season and preview the All-Ireland Hurling Final. It's July 20th at the Borgosh Energy Theatre. It's an exclusive off-air event. Tickets are limited, so don't delay. Go to offtheball.com forward slash events. All ticket proceeds as well will go to the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland. Get your tickets now and help a great cause. Borgosh Energy, proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship. Here are some highlights coming up on the OTB Podcast Network for today. And my uh, chat with Gavin Mizuno from yesterday will be up. A slight tangent, which featured trader Colin Buhig, who went from AM to PM last night and Rugby Daily after the break we're going to have the Donegal boxer Jason Quigley live in studio OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball 13 minutes past 9 on this Wednesday morning's OTB AM The Sports Breakfast Show from Off The Ball with myself and Ethan until 10 o'clock delighted to have the Donegal boxer Jason Quigley live in studio back in with us how are you keeping? Good lad, good. Delayed to be back in with you. How things? Keeping well. You were at uh, Madison Square Garden. Edgar Berlanga uh, retained the NABO Super Middleweight title, but a, a really impressive performance. I think everyone will agree from, from yourself. How do you feel off the back of it? Yeah, um, coming round a bit now to it, it was um, obviously, you know, it was disappointing. Yeah. Like, um, coming away at the, the wrong end of the decision. But since I've come home and since you know I have read a few comments and listened to a few people and not too many people because <laughs> sometimes you can listen to too much but um, you know people close to me and people that opinion that I respect um, it's weird because everyone's coming up saying well done congratulations mm. do you know um, I was just so happy with the performance um, in terms of I think I put a bit of respect and a, a marker back on my name again. Mm. You know, after the Andrade fight, in boxing there's a great saying, you're only as good as your last fight. <laughs> you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there that'll resonate with. And for me, you know, with the Andrade fight, yes, it was great fighting for a world title and, and there's not many people get to do that. But going out the way that I did, it just didn't sit right with me. Mm. And, you know, people kind of hold you to that that oh, I fought for a world title but it was over in two rounds or whatever you know so I really wanted to put a marker back on my name put a bit of respect back on my name and I believe that I did that with the last fight and the last performance you know in Madison Square Garden that 
respect that you were felt a little bit of have been lost after that fight. Where was that? Because I think you know in this country people have huge admiration for the way you go about your business. Is that is that within boxing circles, or actually is it in your head? Um, I think it could be a wee bit of both, to be honest. Um, like I'm a firm believer, and you know I've really over the last couple of years tried to get to that place where I don't really let the opinion of others or anybody else's comments kind of hamper me or, or get to me but this is this is the sport that I do like you know I've done this sport since I was 11 10 years of age I've dedicated and sacrificed my whole life to this sport and to reach the pinnacle of fighting for a world title and coming away maybe not on the right end of it and kind of seeing that little bit of respect that little bit of uh, credit taken away because of the the result and the way the way that I lost that fight I suppose it just didn't sit too well with me and I think it was inside the boxing circle probably more so than outside the boxing circle um but yeah I really wanted to, to you know to put that mark down again and to be like you know this is boxing these things mm. can happen like you know one shot can change everything and that's what happened then Andrade fight but you know, I wanted to come back and show my worth, show show people what what I'm capable of and how good I am. Was that the fir- am I right in saying that's the first time you've gone twelve rounds? Yeah, first time I've gone twelve rounds. Um, Is that a big difference? Like, how, or how did it feel to to do it for the first time? It's actually kind of enjoyable, right? I don't know anybody watching. It. <laughs> I like the pain. Yeah, yeah, I might think a little bit different, but you know, there's a there's a sense of like achievement going twelve rounds, like because that is the championship mm. rounds, like twelve rounds is championship <laughs> rounds, and in terms of fitness wise, and in terms of you know how you're feeling, <laughs> it just like you've done all the work in the gym. And once it gets to that ten round, you know you've done ten rounds for you, like two rounds. You always have two rounds in the <laughs> bag, like you know you can always pull it out of somewhere. Whereas for me, you know, uh, I, I think we got into the seventh or eighth round, and I was like, Jesus, this is going, you know, this is going smooth. Like yeah. this is going, feeling good, fresh, plenty of energy, plenty of fitness about me. So um, yeah, I loved, uh, I enjoyed going the twelve rounds now. Definitely. Does it? Does the fitness have to be? You have to ratchet that up a bit because you're in some nick, like even in the the weigh-ins and stuff. Uh, like uh, maybe maybe similar to previous fights, but certainly to the untrained eye, it looked like you were in a serious nick. <laughs> to be honest, I kind of got asked this question um, before, you know, a couple of days ago, and it's been strange because I've actually not toned back my training, mm. but have been more. I suppose you could say more assertive with the training that I do do and I think that's the confidence in the team that I have around me you know whereas before I was always training you know you're always thinking that you have to be doing this and you know resting was like something lazy do you know what I mean whereas resting is one of the most important things of your training Mm. and if if there is any young kids or anything out there watching this like it's not all about how much you do it's how good you do what you do do. Yeah, do you know yeah, what I mean? Um, and th- and that was something for me. Like when I was growing up, like all sometimes, like I said, Dandy in this camp, like I believe sometimes that maybe I was overtrained. 
previously because and that's no fault to coaches or anything like that that's my own fault like always thinking that overtrained physically and mentally because always thinking that I gotta be going 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 all the time like taking a rest no that's no good you know you gotta keep pounding it all the time so for me um, this the structure of the training kind of changed maybe not as many sessions but the sessions that I do do are 100% and they're fully committed fully focused and I think that's what kind of got me into that fight and into into the way in the ring everything in such great shape because you know I was mentally fresh and physically fresh I assume you're better conserving energy during a fight as well with a bit yeah. of experience definitely you know Whenever you're, whenever you're young and just want everything here now and just right in front of you, <laughs> you know you can you can get caught up in the moment. Um, you can get caught up in things big time during a fight because in a fight so many things can happen, so many things can can come into play that you're not ready for, like cuts, knockdowns. Um, fight might be going the way that you thought it would be going mm. and that can panic fighters and, and yes it has panicked me in the past but you know I'm in a real great position now uh, with the team that I have around me as I was saying you know great confidence great stability great foundation there that when I get in there now I know I have 12 rounds and in my last fight there like got knocked down I think it was the third round and right away I was like Legs are good, head's not dizzy, boom, I'm 100%. Right. Looked into the corner, dead on, we're good. Like, How much, because uh, I've never stood in a ring and <laughs> I never intend to stand in a ring. <laughs> I will get you in someday. <laughs> uh, it wouldn't be good for anybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It lasts about three seconds uh, as I run out. Uh, how much thinking can you do in the ring? Like, how aware of you are you of your, you know, when you're in that zone, when you're in the fight, when you're in the three minutes in a round, how aware of you of everything that's happening away from just the man stood in front of you um, I think that'll be different to every fighter that you talk to um, but for me I suppose I can talk from early in my career and where I'm at now in my career whereas I remember like I would have heard every shout in the crowd or you know somebody ringside or you know been listening out for these kind of things Whereas now I hear absolutely nothing. Wow, right. Like, I am just zoned in and just the blinkers on. All I'm worried about is the game plan that we've set out, who's in front of me, and how do I execute that. And is that just experience, or is that something that you worked with with your team to not have those distractions? That is experience and stuff that I've worked on with my team. You know, this is stuff that we have worked on massively over the last probably two years. And I can really start seeing it coming to fruition now. Mm. You know, I can really start seeing it. There's no other evidence than whenever you go and do it and you can feel it and you can see it and you can see the the positive side of it and the, the effects of it. So for me, it was, um, it, it, it definitely is something, you know, look, you always wish you had this early on in your career, but you'll never get to get these opportunities mm. to have them unless you go through the times that you need to know right, I need this in my career, I need to do this, or, you know, see the changes yourself. I think you hit Berlanga with a, a strong right hand towards the end of the, the sixth round, I think, just before the bell, and a good seventh round as well. Like At that point, are you thinking, I could do this here? Yeah, I think it was, um, yeah, I think it was the, the sixth round that I caught him with that right hand that 
they had <laughs> they had a lovely clip off. <laughs> um, Once the highlights read, yeah, definitely. Just pity he didn't end up on his back. <laughs> but that's the way it goes. Um, yeah, you know, I really felt that I was coming into it. It was actually after the knockdown. Yeah, that I think it's like in in fights, the fights way. So like when somebody knocks you down, they're on a bit of a they're on a bit of a buzz. Mm. They think they've the upper hand. And next thing, after the knockdown, and I come out to him and I have a strong posture, I'm looking at him, I'm like, let's go here, there's a fight on. It can really change the dynamic because one minute he thinks that he has you down and out and gone, and the next minute you're looking in front of him, 10 seconds later, ready to take his head off again. <laughs> Do you know? So that can really swing the dynamic of a fight, and I think that's what happened in that fight, you know, when whenever I got knocked down and, and got up and and he seen the he seen the desire you know he seen he seen the fight in me and he knew that I wasn't going anywhere anytime soon so that was kind of when I think it swinged a little bit and I started getting on top I started out boxing him started landing my jab everything was starting to flow nicely mm. uh, coming into that and then having Andy in the corner of course as well you know so calm so collected you know and and that's the way. Maybe all their fighters are different, but to get a message across, to get your, your fighter to listen to you, to hear you, you know, if you come in roaring and shouting, right away he's going to panic, he's going to go all over the place, he's going, jeez, yeah. what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, you come in and you sit down and you talk to him as if you're having a coffee and, you know, like, that's when you start listening, that's when you absorb, that's when you take everything in, and that is what Andy's so great at, you know, just getting the simple points across and it was so effective, I thought. Some of now, uh, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of the, the boxing journalists and people who have also watched the fight would have said a couple of the scorecards, maybe a little bit um, dubious is, is one of the words I want to use. So you're on the canvas four times, two of those were in the final round, but obviously he's going in search of a stoppage at this point. Um, and even one of the knockdowns I could maybe call yeah, dubious yeah. as well. But So the final scorecards are 106, 108, 106, 108, and 118, 106. Um, stra- strange I think for anyone who's watched the fight and obviously we're coming from an Irish perspective but it did seem strange I, I don't know what your yeah like was. you know to zone like and Berlanga was the A side you know he was the matchroom debutant and mm. you know it was his big show in Madison Square Garden in, in New York and um, zone actually had me I think it was level or up going into the last round right do you know what I mean and that, the difference like, you know yeah. and this is a real controversial thing around boxing. Like, how do you score fights? Do you mm. know, do you, do, you, do you score the aggressor? Do you score the the clean puncher? Um, it's so. I'm sure you know. Look, he's or you see this kind of stuff happening all the time with you know people communicating with the the judges and the decisions and stuff like this here. So it's it's something that we knew we were up against it mm. going into New York. Um, and going into Madison Square Garden where he's from because in two or three of his previous fights it's been similar fights have been a wee bit closer than the scorecards are suggesting but look there's only so much that I can control you know I can't control the judges I can't control what they think what they write down but the only thing I suppose that I can control is if I knock them out and take them out of their hands which obviously Unfortunately, didn't happen. But you know, I did did what I could, and 
a lot of things did go in his favour and look I'll never make excuses or anything like that the the man won on the night um, but you know two of the knockdowns one of them definitely um, one of the other of the knockdowns mm. more like a, a push you kind of shove down and it was counted few low blows here and there that he was throwing in as well could have got a warning for and could have swung it the opposite way by me getting a few points but that's look the way it goes and, and you have to just kind of play the cards you're dealt there and then and now is I suppose the time that you kind of look back and see so you really think yeah exactly you know uh, do you t- can you talk to the judges afterwards can you get feedback from them as to why they scored it a certain way I'm sure you can um, I have never done it um, I haven't really heard of anybody doing it yeah. but you know there's like there's a backstage where the commission and where the judges and referees and everybody hang out you could say like do you know what I mean so um, I'm sure you could and you see these judges and referees at fights I have a, I have a great relationship with a lot of the uh, referees um, over in California and any time you're at the fight you know you could meet them and you could easily say to them yeah. you know but one thing that, that, that I will say now when, when I'm here is that I would love to see in boxing like say before the fight judges instructions of being right it's going to be the aggressive fighter that we want to judge today or it's going to be the uh, clean puncher that we want to judge today it's going to be the quality of the shots not the quantity of the shots do you know and then after they're told this in advance yes because I remember that this used to happen in um, the amateur setup Mm. and there used to be a a meeting for the judges before the actual competition whether it's the Europeans Worlds Olympics whatever it is there'd be a meeting and they'd be saying we're going to be scoring the body shots because body shots and computer scoring was never really scored Mm. much and I remember one fight that I went in and scored like I was throwing body shots because I knew that was what they were going to be scoring and landed a whole load of body shots and then the next fight I went in to land a whole load of body shots came out after the first round and not one of them was scored do you know so I would love I would love for judges, and I know it's very difficult, but I would love for judges or the boxing committees to come out and say, you know, on this show tonight, we're going to be scoring like the aggressive yeah. fighter or the boxing fighter or whatever way that it is, or just say what they're going to be looking for mm-hmm. and what the and then what the reasoning is behind their scoring. You know, after it is one of the most key things. Like, why did you judge that fight that way? Mm. You know, have like. Have like a referee, ju- uh, a referee judge podcast. Yeah. After it, like, do you know what I mean? To sit down, I, I should have started that. Hope nobody steals it. Nobody steals my idea there. But you know, have like a podcast or have like a a show. Whereas after a fight, that judges and referees come down and explain it, and you know, it'd be so insightful for boxers, for coaches, for managers, for promoters for the general public then watching it as well mm. it's an interesting one that, that that would definitely clear a lot of things up for yeah. fans even <laughs> but then would it be as much crack then where you couldn't get on Twitter and if, start if slagging maybe, a new one would go, <laughs> yeah, yeah. maybe the fairest <laughs> results was called in every fight yeah. what would we talk you about know? then you're uh, what you just turned 32 was it yeah just turned 32 uh, so you're at that stage that uh, if there is a defeat you know what questions are going to yeah, be coming yeah, afterwards at the way you've been talking suggests that retirement isn't on the cards? Yeah, so obviously, um, 32 years of age now and recently married, you know, getting into that stage of my life now where it's time to settle down, put the feet up and <laughs> all that carry on. But for me, 
Um, don't get me wrong, there has been stages, you know, especially after the Andrade fight and stuff like that, where I was like, but that was more like when you're on the downer, you're like, I just don't want to say it online, but mm. <laughs> that's all the thing, you know what I mean? Um, what's the point in it and all that there, but those are stages that you, you go through. Um, but with my last fight, as soon as I touched down in Dublin on my way home, and the whole drive back to Donegal, all I wanted to do was just get back in the gym <laughs> and keep working on what me and Andy, Shane, Gary, Sean, the whole team has been working on throughout the whole training camp. It was like it, it was it was kind of like the that that it was a sport that I just started that I was learning again, right? You know that I was like. Right, I want him because I know I can do this better. And and in that fight, I did put up a great performance. I did do well. All that there kind of stuff was said about it. But coming away from that fight, I know I have another couple of gears in me. Mm. And I never really seen that before in any of my previous fights. Whereas this one, I seen, you know, if I can continue these training camps continue fighting frequently I know I can get another few gears out of me and I think that is just kind of with the team that we we have around us now and I suppose the the structure that we have going now that everything is really starting to fall into place um, and as it says like all I wanted to do was get back in the gym like and me and Andy were, we went back into the gym yesterday morning you know did a few things and just Kind of went over some of the stuff that we that we did do well in the fight and you know on the pads and and it just felt good like you know as it says it feels like I'm learning something again and I have a real kind of desire to get even better and I never thought I'd be saying this at 32 years of age and at this stage of my career but it's incredible I, really isn't it like, yeah I don't think anyone who's ever come into contact with Andy Lee hasn't come away from a conversation yeah, yeah. feeling better about themselves yeah, yeah, and better yeah. about life but the way you're talking about him throughout this conversation it yeah. sounds as though he's had a huge impact on you I never really um, I never really I suppose understood or realised the effect that he did have on me until he was actually there mm. in America with me for that fight Um because you know when you're in LA and you're you know doing a lot of it on your own, do you know what I mean? You're you're kind of calling the shots about where you're going to eat and where you're going to train and do this here, like because in professional boxing you're kind of your own boss sometimes, and the kind of final say is on you. Whereas this time around, you know, with Andy, Shane, Gary, Sean, we we had a great full team. April was even there, you know, part of the team, and it was just fell into place lovely and Andy you know was I don't want to say taking control but you know he was calling the shots in terms of like where we would eat you know where we would go training you know what time we doing this what time whereas all that just took the the mental energy uh, off of me like you know trying to think mm. about this trying to think about that whereas I was just able to chill in the room with April, watch a bit of Netflix. It was, it was yeah, it's, yeah, and and that's the positive distractions that you need, and that's something that me and Shane have been working on. You know, in between, like you don't need to be hemmed up about the fight twenty four seven because you'll be drained. Like you know, you just need to be switched on, ready to go whenever the time comes. And uh, 
Shane O'Sullivan. He's a um, a good friend of mine. Firstly, that we have uh, we have on the team now, um, sports psychology and everything. You know, so uh, Shane's been been a massive addition to the team as well. And uh, yeah, we've all blended in brilliantly together. And we had it. Look, it was a great week in New York. You know, we really had uh, we really had good fun as well while we were there. Uh, we enjoyed it. You know, the 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 face off the press conferences it was probably my first time as well coming up somebody that's mouthy like and <laughs> obviously saying uh, he was just he, honest to god like he wasn't making sense at all anytime he was speaking like, he was, like one of the things that he kept saying to me was this is my city this is my city like and I don't know like I did geography at school like, but I don't know was he trying to give me a geography lesson like I knew it was in New York I knew he was from New York yeah. uh, and he just kind of kept saying this stuff over and over again but it was uh, I actually really enjoyed it like I, I really really enjoyed it. a bit back I did like but kind of not in a in a mouthy way like I just you know like I was like I know what you're saying. Like, well, take him, uh, take him, probably buffet the rematch, and just be like, "This is my town." Aye, uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> take, him, take him back over here. Yeah. This is this is McCool Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the wind blows round. Uh, and what else? He, he kind of said something to you know. He was just like he loves to talk and he loves to be out there. And I spoke to him after it, and we. It's part of the game, you know, the the hype and the build up yeah. and all that. There, I spoke to him after it. Lovely fella down there. It's good skin do you know what I mean but you know in the build up and all he's like yeah and, and Ireland's my city and all like, like not a city like, <laughs> <laughs> Ireland's my city do you know but You're like not to laugh in his face yeah it's um but it was good I really enjoyed you know the the, the face off and it was it brought an extra, an extra wee bit of excitement and bite to it, so definitely. You've been great with your time, Jason. I, I, I guess you're looking for that. I know the Shane Mosley fight was a couple of years ago now, but that, that famous scene where you dropped your knees, and I, I know the crowd was a bit eerie in Vegas because of the, I think COVID was only yeah, yeah, kind of yeah. coming to an end. I suppose you want a repeat of that moment, but with, with yeah, with, with definitely. More fans. You know, we're we're in this for glory. Like, do you know what I mean? We're not in here just to just to show up and give it a go like we're we're in here for glory and yeah those are those are the nights that, that that I that I want back and that I believe like boxing is a sport that if you do not believe that you can have glory nights and you cannot be successful get the hell out of there like mm. you know it's not a sport to be to be in there for the sake of it or to say I'm a boxer or to say you know anything boxing is it's a very difficult sport um, and it's something that you need to have confidence in yourself to, to stick at it and to go at it and you know I've really found a new a new kind of lease of confidence and a lease of uh, I suppose progression mm. that as I says you know I never thought I'd be saying this at, at this stage of my career and at this age like but yeah it's uh, it's exciting yeah sounds like that drive from Dublin Airport to Donegal and Lock something <laughs> definitely. definitely in your yeah, head yeah. Uh, listen Jason always a pleasure Thanks nice for, one. Thanks Thank for you, Slad. Cheers for having me in. We'll catch up again, no doubt, very soon, before the next one, maybe. 100% for that, right? Great stuff. Uh, Jason Quigley there, Donegal Boxer, great chat as per usual. On tomorrow's show, tomorrow Thursday, myself and Kathleen will be with you, bringing you a plenty of preview of Ireland versus France with Maeve de Burka. We'll have all Ireland hurling semi final build up as well, with uh, voices from both Galway and Limerick. And we'll preview Claire Kilkenny on Friday's show as well. Jess Kelly, after coming home from Wimbledon, and Paul Howard, you had to be there live in studio right now. Another Donegal man, Brendan Deveni, from last night's show. Have a wonderful Wednesday. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.